What's the Crack Podcast, proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote. Good evening and welcome to What's the Crack Podcast in association with JMR Property Maintenance and the Rialto Plaza. I'm here with my co-host Neil. Neil, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Good, mate. I've, I've had me fit of pancakes. We're recording this on pancake night, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this now. I didn't even know it was pancake day, to be fair. You've ruined my evening already. Um, <laughs> this evening, we're joined by former Albion Rovers, Coventry City, Russian and Diamonds, Bristol Rovers, Shrewsbury, Wickham, Wrexham, Crawley, Rotherham, Crewe, Burton, Mansfield and Oxford goalkeeper Scott Shearer. He made 41 appearances for the Sky Blues and he was 40 yesterday. Happy birthday for yesterday, mate. Scott Shearer, how are you? Yeah, cheers for that. Very well, very well. How are you, boys? Well, good, thank you. Yeah, good. Dave, man, you, you've just made him sound like a rock journeyman. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, that's half a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking then, I was like, Jesus, that was going on a bit. <laughs> Two clubs. Truth hot snap. Scott, with all our guests, mate, we'll let's go straight back to the start. So you grew up around Glasgow? Yeah, Glasgow boy, born and bred. Um, just like most days when we're back in those days, you live with a football at your feet. You know, used to get, you'd get dragged in by your mum. You would never want to be in the house. So that was it. That was my, my childhood, just either making dens or building ridiculously dangerous swings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know the type, mate. I know the type. Could ramp for your bikes or something and then play the So that was life. I've got to ask, and it could be a bit awkward with a flag behind me, but with your green or blue going up. <laughs> oh, that's a good flag for me, mate. Get in there, Celtic boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. I'll leave that, by the way. Um, I, I, I couldn't, it, it's not for me. I'd cobs my team, and that's it. Um, you, you mentioned growing up playing football and stuff with your pals. Were, were you always the lad that was stuck in the nets or, or did you stop a bit about your outfield? Yeah, no. Everybody thinks we've got a bit about us, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah mate. I'll be honest, when I was I was younger, I was the I was a fat kid, so it was like, right, Shields get in goal. You <laughs> <laughs> don't run as much, so you get in goal and seem to work my, my advantage. Definitely. Did, did you get much shit with your surname being a Scotsman and how well Alan Shearer was doing for England at the time? No, not at all. It used to, I mean, you still get it now. Any <laughs> relation to Alan Shearer, you're like, there's my cousin, pal. Yeah, I'd give him a bow for you now. <laughs> yeah, you, but it is what it is. I suppose it's just an icebreak, a nice icebreaker for people, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Was it a dream as a kid to play for Celtic? Yeah. Very nearly came reality before I joined Cov. Did it? I'd been, I'd been training with, well, I'd been, I'd been getting into Celtic for sort of three months prior to me coming down in trial with Cov. And just before Christmas, never forget it, I was out Christmas shopping with my mum, got a phone call from Terry Genoa at the time, who was a Celtic goalie coach, and he said, Scott, it's done. We're, we're going to buy you for Albion Rovers. You're going to be a Celtic player. We're going to loan you back out. And you're going to be a development project for us. So fucking, I'm, I was in Glasgow City Centre and I was fucking crying. Yeah, I, had physical, yeah, I had physical tears coming out my eyes. Went home, my dad and my brother, season ticket holders, and told them that's it, it's done. And then that was my first lesson in football to 
never believe anything until it's actually fucking signed in front of you. <laughs> so, unfortunately for me, it wasn't through anything that I could have done. Celtic then progressed further in Europe that year. Martin O'Neill wanted more experience as a sort of number three. So they signed a guy called Sanchez Brotto from Livingston. But luckily for me, there was a there was a youth coach called Kenny McDowell, who was very good mates with Eric Black and Gary McAllister. And obviously they had spoken, they had sort of, sort of said they were looking for a goalkeeper. And Kenny said, you should look at Scott Shearer. And everybody thought I was signing with Celtic. So Eric was like, we thought you had signed him. And they were like, no. So luckily that conversation happened. And then I think it was the following week I was down at Wrighton. And yeah, got offered a deal after that week. Just couldn't believe it. I, I know I know we're Cough fans, but it's got to be a bit of a come down. Obviously, wanted to go to Celtic, you end up at Highfield Road. <laughs> now nah, you say that. I mean, for me, obviously, I'd love to have been at Celtic, but the real goal was to come down in England. Mm. I was going to say, surely the Premier League is kind of like the the, the, the end goal for most Scottish players. As, as, as much as you may support Celtic Rangers growing up, the money's down here, the spectacle's down here, sort of thing. Um, and it, it does add to the old old age question, is how the old firm would do if they came down here as well. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Um, at the moment, I'm not too sure. Previously... You know, when this conversation was really, like, firing up, you know, and Martin O'Neill was Celtic manager, I reckon Celtic and Rangers could have could have held their own very easily in the Premier League, very easily. Um, and then then you think about with the funding that the Premier League clubs get. Celtic's got the following, it's got the infrastructure, everything mm-hmm. in You know, with more funding, etc. the lure of bringing players to the Premier League as such. I reckon it could have... Celtic Rangers could have, you know, really held their own and, and possibly done even better. Definitely, I, I agree with the, the the part that you say. The fact that if they're down here, it's a more attractive proposition for some players. And the following both clubs have got is phenomenal. So um, within five years, at least, they'd definitely be a top six side, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. Just not, going back not to so sure now, though, not so sure now. I'm, I'm with you on that, especially Celtic at the minute. For me, I've, I've got a bit of an interest in Celtic. I think Lennon's got to go, to be completely honest. It's just not working out at the minute for him, is it? Yeah. Listen, I, I don't think it's just Lennon. Like everyone, obviously, when things go wrong, especially in the season, it, it's turned out for Celtic, you know, potential 10 in a row. Yeah. And then Rangers, obviously, dominating the league. Um, obviously, straight away, we just go straight for the jugular, don't we? And we go for the manager. But I think it's been well documented that there's real issues behind the scenes. Celtic have scrimped and saved on areas where they they didn't need to and they shouldn't have. So I think there's a lot more to be said for the, you know, even the recruitment side of things. Some of the players I see coming in, millions of pounds being spent, untested. And I I look at that and I, I think now, like, obviously, Cov's a club that's always brought its own through. Always has and always will. And I just think clubs like Celtic have got to realise now they are a feeding club. Yeah. And they've got to... Surely the amount of money that's been spent from the recruitment department at Celtic on on players that are just bang average, really bang average, I think you've got to look at that and that could have been invested more wisely within within the club. So as much as we go for the... Obviously the players aren't performing as well on the pitch and... Everyone then blames the manager, but 
I think there's a lot more problems behind the scenes at Celtic. Yeah, definitely, I think you're right. It is too easy to go for the manager. There's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't see. Yeah. Scott, going back to Albion Rovers for a bit, we've interviewed a couple of goalkeepers, Stephen Bywater, Chris Kirkland. But we've never interviewed a goalkeeper who's played 49 games and scored one goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, obviously Albion Rovers, when I, I mean, I, the story behind me joining Albion Rovers, I was working as a lifeguard at the time. Wow. I was changing my shifts on a Saturday to work everyone on Sunday shift so I could play on a Saturday for my boys' club. And then, luckily, one of the Albion Rovers directors was just driving around where I was playing and popped in and watched the game. And I've obviously done well and he's asked me to go for a trial game at Albion Rovers, so it was just really out of the blue. So then I went in for this trial game. Done well. They said, yeah, we want to sign you. Here's what we're offering. And I looked at it and I thought... You know that dream you have of making it in football? And, you <laughs> and I looked at it and I thought, I need to take a wage cut from being a full-time lifeguard. To a football <laughs> the sort of dream became a bit shattered and disillusioned. But now, obviously, you, you jump at the chance. It's, it's the opportunity more than anything. And I think that's what a lot of young lads have to realise these days and, you know, just take a chance when it comes to them. Be that at their, 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 their own club or be it at a club to go out and load. Yeah, definitely. You make a point there about the money, and you know, I know you're saying, Jess, that you you may have took a pay cut for being a lifeguard, but I, I think that's a stark reality when you look at League One and League Two clubs, especially. You know, and lads in the National League, they probably would earn more doing fifty hours a week at Sainsbury's or a, or, or a car making factory or something. But it is that opportunity to kind of be the next Jamie Vardy that works their way through the leagues, etc. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that's the one and we'll touch on Rushton and Diamonds later but that's another one of those clubs that now has gone bust and you kind of look at that and think there was players involved at that time that really needed a bit more support and and stuff so yeah, it, it shows how, how, the, how little money there is in the game at the bottom and how inflated it is at the top oh, Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more especially in times like this now yeah, you, you look at clubs like Barry going under. We touched on Russia and Diamonds there as well. It shouldn't be happening in this day and age when you've got players like Gareth Bale who's pretty much earning half a million pound a week. You know, each to their own. And like, I mean, you've got Macclesfield as well. And I mean, this is just down to poor management. Poor management from the top. And you know, some of the stories I've heard about these clubs, obviously, it was, again, we all knew this, the story that went, went on behind Bury. And yeah. Yeah, that's just a that's just a fucking disgrace. Yeah, it is, mate. There's people livelihoods there from people working in the stadium every day, the training ground, you know, and the playing staff as well. And and every one of them, because of that knobhead who was in charge. Yeah, we spoke to Chris Stokes the other night, um, who was at Berry at the time, and he said, you know, you got lads who can't afford to put petrol in their car to get to training. Yeah. And yeah, you look what those lads did on the pitch. They fucking wouldn't, you know, they got promoted. Finished second, didn't they? Yeah. And you just think, like, as a player, how the fuck do you get yourself up for a game when your missus is having a go at you because she can't go shopping? And when I say shopping, I mean go and do a proper food shop. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But again, that's that just shows you what kind of breed football players need to be at times. Yeah. Definitely, 100%, mate, 100%. Bad press comes out about them being selfish twats and because the story comes out they've bought themselves this and that. 
people don't know the real stories, do they? I mean, you've been around many, you spoke to enough. Footballers are tough, tough human beings. And they need to be, well, I think I'm getting a bit softer now, but... <laughs> it, it, it's a good point you make, though, because obviously doing what we do in terms of podcasts, we spoke to a few, and I think you do realise how normal football players are. Because obviously, we, we watch them every week, but you don't realise they are normal people with normal worries and stuff like that. Of course. At the end of the day, you, you touched on it. Then they were like saying, some of these players are earning less than somebody in Sainsbury's. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it isn't... Uh, Obviously, there's a perception in there that every footballer is living a dream and stuff, but I know, I've know i known footballers to be playing full-time football and on the side of a part-time job. It's fucking crazy, isn't it? It's fucking crazy. So, like you say, and it's every kid's dream to get that contract in front of them. It's just, that's what baffles me more than anything. Um, we touched on it before about your goal-scoring record. Um, <laughs> at Hampden Park as well. Um, yeah, I, I dive at the verse there, or hey, something. I'm, I'm a bit like that. I'll chat about something. Mate, <laughs> don't worry about it. We were exactly the same. Um, yeah. so, so, Albion Rovers, right? So, obviously, they were known as the worst club in Scotland at that time. Well, so, what, what right. league were they in? Like the third, fourth division? They were in the bottom league. Yeah. So, League Two sort of level in Scotland. Um, but again, that's no comparison to League Two football, too. That league in Scotland, it was public. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that there's a team called Queen's Park. Yeah. That's what and Andy Robertson was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So they actually own Hamden as a club. That's fucking crazy, isn't it? So you're talking about twice a year you were playing at Hamden against Queen's Park, and there's fucking, you're lucky if there's 500 people there. <laughs> it's literally the national stadium for Scotland as well, isn't it? Fifty thousand old seater, and that's it. Stopping. I mean, we were getting beat one 0 I went off for a corner last minute, blown out my arse by the time I got up in the box because it's fucking massive. Get up there, corner comes in, in my head. You know, I've seen the ball coming. I've connected perfectly in my forehead, top bends. It flew in. Reality was, I've just like arms by my side, just. <laughs> Jump like a penguin. Myself forward. It's hit me in the crown. <laughs> so I've just heard this. Yay! I think it was like my mum and dad. Like, <laughs> obviously, I think there was 400 people at the game. So you get up, you go to celebrate, and there's fucking nobody there. It's just empty. <laughs> <laughs> climax. So you're just like, all right, I'll, I'll run back to the goal run. <laughs> oh, that, that's brilliant! That's brilliant. That's one thing that's, that's always got me about goalies. You know, everyone says that you have to be wired differently to, to go in the sticks for, for, for one of a better term. When you go up corners, how often do you think oh, I'm gonna fucking score here? I swear to God, every time I thought it. <laughs> every time I hit the bar a couple of times, and I don't know. I just used to go up because I used to just pick a fight as well in the eighteen-yard box. So. <laughs> Whoever, whoever's been an absolute twat that game in the opposite team, I'd, just make, I'd make a beeline for them. Uh, yeah, used to love it. Is, uh, is, did you ever practice it in training? It's, I know it sounds daft because I know you do set pieces and, and, and stuff like that in training. But And you always hear about goalies taking the gloves off and having a go at the final side. Do you ever practice like going up for set pieces in training? Or is it just one of those things you just think, fuck it, I'm just going for it? Uh, the thing is, it's I think 
every goalkeeper from my area was just a frustrated striker. <laughs> <laughs> we all believed that we were fucking shit hot. But, you know, we weren't really. But yeah, no, it was just a case of you're getting beat, you can throw an extra body in the box. You may as well lose 2-0 than 1-0. Yeah. And it, sometimes it just, you know when a six foot four goalkeeper runs into the other box, you see them going, who the fuck's marking him? Yeah, <laughs> so And then I just speak to my teammates and I always made the same run front post and I used to just take somebody out of hole. So sometimes, yeah. we scored sometimes from just from just moving other people around. Yeah, from just you being that. I've... I used to be coached by a bloke who used to t- say this for years. Roy Slade, bless him. He always used to say, for a corner, especially late on, someone pretend to go and take it short because that drags someone out of, out of the near post and then you can just all gamble in that area. We scored many goals from that. Yeah. Many goals from that as a kid. Because like you say, it's something you don't expect. You know, every corner throughout the game, you, you can see everyone lining up saying, here's my man, here's my man. Off, off you try two lads on the post. But the second you throw a little little change there, you can just see people shit themselves. Yeah, well, and at that time, obviously, they're shitting it because they don't want to lose a goal, do they? So it's the worst thing. But uh, I feel for the lads at Queen's Park that had to lose a goal to this fat goalie coming up. <laughs> did, did you celebrate much that night after you equalised? Celebrated every Saturday night. <laughs> That's what I mean. Lose a draw. So you, you touched on the fact that you got, you got the phone call uh, from Eric Black to come down. Uh, it was Gary, Gary McAllister was the manager that actually signed you. Yeah. As a Scotsman, how, how was that? You know, he was captain in the national team a little bit, wasn't he? And... Mate, honestly, don't. So, put it this, right? So, I'm playing the level I'm playing at in Scotland. I've been in training with Celtic. I was training with the first team for three months, which was like, I was starstruck every day. Yeah. Then that doesn't happen. So you're like, fuck, right. What do I do? I either fold here or I just keep going and I'm going to get something else. So kept going and then got that phone call. I think Alan Hodgkinson, bless him. He he came up and watched me a few times as well. And it was his decision, really. He said, this is who I want. I want this guy as a project. And and that was it. So I came, come, so I come down to, to sign and like you say, fucking Gary McAllister, everybody knows him. Gary McAllister picks me up from East Midlands Airport. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> he, he stood there with the boards saying, Scott Shearer. <laughs> it was more like, come on. <laughs> and I was just sprinting behind him. No, but he picked me up. He was brilliant, honestly. From the minute I, from the minute I walked into that club, felt nothing but pure support and care from people but people generally cared about you so you had obviously I remember back when I came down on trial you had Barry Quinn who was going through his injury but you know yeah. and he was told that he was getting let go and but he was he was always like really friendly with me and making sure I felt comfortable you had Roy and Marie running the lodge you know looked after everybody like their own kids then you had the staff then you, you know then you go into Andy Harvey George Pete. Guys, you know, it was, a, it was a proper club. I loved it. Andy Harvey, what a legend that bloke is. Oh, yeah. I had the proper, pleasure proper bloke. a little bit when he came to Oxford towards the end. Felt mm. so good because I say to all the young lads, like, don't none of you fucking speak back to him. 
<laughs> but then I realised I don't need to say that because Andy's a fucking it's massive, isn't it? <laughs> and then it and it just reminded me back to whenever we were cheeky. Didn't matter if you were the fucking number one or you were the top player at that club. If you were a young lad and you were cheeky to Andy or George or and Andy got you one on one in the lodge, you were fucked. <laughs> you were, and you just knew it. You were like, I'm just gonna have to take it. But so I think that was an amazing thing about that club. There was a grounding. Yeah. Uh, how old were you, Scott, when you saw him? Sorry? How old were you when you saw him for Cov? 2003. I was 22. Well, I know you said it, it was kind of laid back when you walked in, but were you nervous when you first walked into Royton? Um, I don't know if I was nervous. More excited. Like... I, just, I had a good bit of confidence in me at that time. I was having a really good season. You know, I, that year I had been on trial at Everton, Derby. You know, I'd been I'd been been around and okay, trial wow. clubs. Um, again, good learning experience for me earlier on. You know, rejection. Um, and then obviously when I went into Coventry, I actually didn't know the background to how they knew about me and everything. So. I just thought it was just another trial, a good chance for me to go and I can just enjoy it. And I always looked at it and I thought, I mean, when I went back to Albion Rovers, I had never been coached. Hodgie mm. was my first goalkeeping coach. So I was coming down to these clubs and I was doing all these drills and I was taking it back and I was trying to work on all these things. That I was, so I, was, I had a little book and I'd take down every session we'd done at every club that I went to. And then obviously, yeah. I always remember we played a, a bounce game and I think it was for me more than anything. And obviously I was much a much more broad Glaswegian back then. And <laughs> just seemed like a fucking angry man. <laughs> I think it was Mark Noon. Noon at the time. Yeah. After the game, I went, fucking hell, big man, you need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just constantly, and I think that was one of the things that you know, Gary and Eric really liked the fact that I could come into that environment and just dominate and dictate. Yeah, definitely. You, um, the season you signed, we signed a young Irish lad from Celtic who, I don't know if you would have come across, yeah, Doyle, at your time time while you were training that. Did did you come across him at Celtic at all? No, not at all. Um, When I heard Doyle had signed, obviously, so I got in touch with new, the same sort of people, new same people, obviously. Got in touch. And then, I mean, me and Doyle are still good mates to this day. He was my first real mate because we had just joined. Um, we would spend nights, you know, I, would, I was staying in the lodge for the first month until I found a place to live. And it was a fucking nightmare because I had a curfew. I'd go to Doyle's house and he had a house in Levington. I'd go through there and like make dinner and stuff like that and just chill out with them. Then I'd be like, fuck, I need to get back. <laughs> I've got to get back for fucking half nine or whatever it was in the lodge. <laughs> Is that the same sort of time that Barry Quinn had Dogma in Cobb City Centre as well? So that was just after, yeah. That oh, was just after. Yeah. I mean, those sort of places didn't help me out. I enjoyed social <laughs> side of things too much, but yeah, no, it was a good um, what, what was Doyle like as a young lad uh, in that dressing room? Luckily enough, me and David are speaking to him on Sunday, so um, you, you might give us a little bit of, a bit of dirt on him here, Scott. Honestly, there's no dirt on him. When he, when he had, you know, he, 
he didn't drink much, but when he drank, fuck me. <laughs> he, he was a cannon, but nothing. He's Irish. You know what I mean? But oh, just an absolute utter professional. Like, you know, in training, you know, one of those players, like, train how they, they play. Yeah. Demands everything, you know. His little Irish accent, it's fucking cracked me up, man. <laughs> Honestly, he's, he was the angriest little man in the world. <laughs> fucking fighting and arguing and nobody fucking, you know, anything you played against, nobody liked him because he was just horrible. He's one of them that he would he'd fucking give it out all game and somebody would give him it back and he would be that smart that he would get him sent off. He was, I always- Get the impression he's a bit like Roy Keane. He just demands the best out of anyone he comes into contact with. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Brilliant. And uh, again, I'm sure he's had to sort of, you know, change the way he is a little bit. He's still involved now, not County, and still playing every week. But he, have you spoken to him since he went in goal last week? <laughs> yeah, he sent me a fucking picture of his <laughs> face on Manuel Neuer's body. Oh, mate, yeah, I've seen it. Fucking brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, me and Doyle had even had a few fights at the training ground just because we'd get that hit, like, get that heated and we'd be fucking having a go and then we'd just have a tear up and then that'd be it done. Oh, that's the best way as well. And I'm sure that happens at every club. Um, well, not anymore. It's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned being 22 years old coming down to a club like Coventry, right under the training ground, Highfield Road, etc. But you walk in that dressing room and you've got the likes of Mohamed Kanye, Richard Shaw, Daniela Bola, Andy Morrell, Steve Storm and Julian Joe Chim. Look, where's your head at when you first see those those sort of guys? Yeah, fucking starstruck. Like, obviously, I remember watching Shaw's, uh, Steve Staunton especially, you know, Julian Joe Chim, these kind of lads and, it's just like fucking hell. But then we had players like you know Yusuf Safri at the time, and Saf was what the player, good player, player. Bjarne Good Johnson, we had him as well. You know, really, really good players. We had a really good team then. And, and to be fair, and then we had like in my second year, like Stern John came in. You know, and I remember I was always just like I was always just wanting to do more. So I was always saying to like. Stern John used to just drag me all the time. He's like, right, you want to do more? Right, you're staying out with me. We'd be out for an hour. And he'd just get somebody to cross the ball. He'd want his movement, cross and finish. And I'd stay out as long as he wanted. And I genuinely loved every second of it. Even if it was Eric Black used to do a thing where we would put hoops around the top corners of the goals and, you know, last last one in sort of thing. You've, you've got to get it through. The hoops. Stuff like that. I mean, I, I, loved, I loved it, honestly. It's quite surprising you mentioned Stern John was out training after training because for me, he's one of the laziest players I've ever seen play for Cov. <laughs> yeah, but he's he was a goal scorer, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That's all he was. Yeah, he's a great guy, a really good guy. I'll be honest, there wasn't any, didn't come across any bad people. Were, were there many like that, Scott, that probably trained really hard and it didn't show on a Saturday or the other way around where you look at me training and you think who the fuck's this kid and then on Saturday they're like the place on, on fire yeah I mean I think I think everybody's got a little bit of that in them as a professional we're only humans yeah do you know what I mean some people are fucking shit hot at training 
and like you say, just can't deal with the expectations of like a crowd at Highfield Road back then, you know, and it was yeah. full up. You know what I mean? And the crowd's right on top of you. And obviously, if you fuck up, you know about it. <laughs> so we weren't that bad as fans, were we? <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you you mentioned Highfield Road, and for us, it's obviously we're at the Rico, we're at Birmingham now, but obviously the Rico. But obviously back then, it's it's we saw dream of Highfield Road every day. What was it like to play at Highfield Road? Oh man, fucking, I loved it. I I loved that stadium so much. Just fucking used to walk out. You just felt, you felt walking out there that there was a presence. You know what I mean? An atmosphere. Brilliant. I just I prefer all all the older stadiums myself personally. We're yeah. the same. We love them. Like you know, the dressing rooms were much better, and you had the old school baths and everything. And I don't know, I just something about it. There was just more character. You know, there was you, you sort of knew that like there was some seriously fucking good individuals who went through that and sat in these dressing rooms and. For that, for me, like just starting off my career down here, that was something that I always thought about. You know, I was like, "Fucking hell!" Like we're playing, I don't know, Norwich or whatever, and you're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> you don't think about it. Do you know what I mean? You, you sort of just get consumed by it sometimes, and then you go home and you're like, "Fucking hell! What is happening here?" Any goalkeeper we've spoke to has played for Cov. They can't speak highly enough of Oggy. What was it like with you? So Oggy, I didn't really work with Oggy that much. Great guy, and like every time I speak to him now, I make sure you know we have a good conversation and stuff. He was brilliant, but he was a head of academy then, played a different role. So him and Bugsy looked after all the academy boys, and I had a few, a few. uh, Sometimes he took the reserve games, and obviously I played a few reserve games in my time there. So he took that, and he was always brilliant with me. You know, he was always just like just go and fucking play and little bits. The thing is, as well, it's like. You usually find it's the really small bits of advice that you get that mean the most. a lot to you. Do you know what I mean? It usually helps you. So I was I was really fortunate in a way that I had Hodgie as a starter. And then obviously when Eric and when Gary left and then Eric got sacked, Hodgie left as well. And then and then Augie came in. And every goalkeeping coach is different. What I really liked about Augie's was was it was just fucking brutal. Yeah, Chris Kirkland said the same. He said that when when Oggy was playing and doing a little bit of coaching at the same time, it was just a slog. Training was hard work, but you loved it because you know one that's your bread and butter. But two, come Saturday afternoon, you think I'm unbeatable. And then it's not even that. It's back then your service. Fuck me, if your service wasn't on point, even Mm -hmm. although if I was playing and I was number one at the club at that time. I had Gavin Ward there and yeah. Peggy Arfexad. Oh, I remember it. Fuck <laughs> you. You know what I mean? So I had these two experienced beasts and they were <laughs> fucking like good men as well. And then you had, when, when Augie came in, your service, it was like, if your handling wasn't on, you were getting a fucking boss nose. Like <laughs> every ball was bang and it was right, it was coming right between your eyes. And if your handling ain't good or if it's a wet day and you're like, not, you're not on it, you shouldn't. You shouldn't woke up. Yeah. You, you mentioned Peggy Alfexan and Gavin Ward. Uh, I think it was the year after you saw him. Luke still come in. What was Luke like? I spoke to Steeler today. Oh, did you? Yeah. What? What a guy. Obviously, for me, it was like, ah, oh, fuck. That's 
that's not a good sign for me. But yeah, a, a kid coming in from United alone, you think? Yeah, well, <laughs> but you know, I had my my own issues and stuff when I was at Cov. You know, I don't think I dealt with things very well. And then obviously, as a young goalkeeper, every manager thinks, Do you know what, I'm going to have to to make a change here. And then he brought Steely in. But when, when you say issues, mate, what do you mean in terms of personal life? For lots, lots of beer, too much. Enjoyed the social side. And I definitely enjoyed the social side, but yeah. I don't think that was the issue. Um, my issue was was that I just started you, feeling like. Were you ever homesick? Obviously, being down in England. It's not that I was homesick, but I, I didn't want to go home. But I just missed having like. So I was on my own, and it's the first time I was on my own. And I had I had to become fucking an adult. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I get that. Do your own washing and shit. <laughs> that, I don't know what that was you about. I wanted my mum and dad there to help me at times, and they weren't there. And it sounds like a bit babyish, but just those little things with her. I don't know if they'd have helped me or not, but um, and then I don't know. I just I felt just we, I felt as if I was in a really good path with with Hodgie. Mm. And obviously. Augie took over for a bit, and then Seamus came in with Peter Reid. Uh, yeah, he came in with Peter Reid, and then it was like didn't really feel the same sort of connection that I had with Hodgie with Seamus. No, not anything bad or anything. I just didn't feel it. Do you know what I mean? And then I think I, that sort of insecurity crept in with me, and then I start, and then it started showing in my performances, and then obviously Steely comes in. And just fucking bossed it. Was incredible. And then you're like, all right, what can you, what can you do? You can only just sit and work hard and fucking like try your hardest. And it, again, for me, it, obviously it didn't work out at the club, but there were fucking amazing experiences for me for the rest. I mean, I had a, an amazing career. Lucky to continue. I was 38 and stopped through my choice. Were you sort of bloke that were going out the gaffer's door if you weren't playing, or is it a case you can sit there and go, Steve is having a blind eye, like I, I'm bang to rights, I can't, I, I can't ask to, for him to be dropped, sort of thing. Yeah, no, I didn't go in and, and bang in the door, um, but there was a time where Steely had a rough patch, I remember, and I remember one of the the lads in the team at the time, I don't know if you remember, Eddie Williams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, they sort of said to me, "You need to go and fucking, you need to go and speak to the manager." Like, he's he's a young lad as well. He's younger than you, and he's he needs a little bit of a break just now. And I went in, but to be honest, Peter Reid didn't like me at all. To, to be honest, I, I don't think as fans, I don't really like Peter Reid. I thought he came in with a big name, and he did a fucking awful job at Cov. Yeah, he didn't didn't like me at all, and I. And I remember the exact conversation when it fucking changed for me and him. And it was when we were we were doing pre-season down at the NFU in Warwick. Yeah. Down at Stratford, Stratford, uh, yeah. And yeah, I had been away that summer with Scotland because I had got international call-ups and stuff and I went away. Yeah. That, was, was that with Scotland B? No, that was with the, the full squad. Okay. So, I didn't actually get a full cap. I'd got a Scotland B cap, but I was in a lot of full international squads. And we went away, and out of the whole squad, I was the only one not to get any minutes. And it was three, it was three weeks in my summer, and I thought, you know what? I fucking grafted every day. I deserved ten minutes. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. 
And I came back and I was having this conversation with Peter Reed, and I remember him saying, how was it? I went, I'm never going to fucking complain about getting called up, but it's a fucking waste of time if I'm spending three weeks in my summer and not getting fucking any sort of merit for it because every, it was that sort of tour that everyone was getting games. Um, and I said I'd much rather have been preparing for this season for, for Coventry. And he sort of took it the total wrong way. And I think at that point, he just thought I was a sort of big-time twat, really. Yeah, that's a bit harsh. And from that moment on, I just felt this change. Mm. Like, oh, fuck. And that's one of those things as well, isn't it? If the, gaff, if the gaffer's not having you, he's not having you. It's one of those things that you very rarely can turn that round. No, that's it. And, it's, and as a younger lad, obviously with his name and stuff, I was a bit not apprehensive about speaking to him. But, you know, I, I remember Adrian, Adrian Heath at the time, the assistant. Yeah. For him, it, was, it felt it was really weird. He came up to me one night. We had a day out in the at Warwick races. And he came up to me and he went, you know, just keep training hard like you're doing. You, you work really hard and it's noticed. Don't worry. You know, just be good around the place. And that's all I ever did. And he went, you know, because the gaffer can can make people's careers or, or ruin them. And well, he, he said that at Warwick Racecourse? You are? He said that at the racecourse? No, we went on to Leamington and okay. we were getting pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it then. But I always remember, like, sitting there and thinking... That's a weird thing to say. And then yeah. that summer, Mickey Adams came in. Who, let's not talk about him. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. And then he We're came fucking in, going back to that. And he <laughs> said, to be fair, as much as I think, whatever I think him, you know, he was brutally honest, which I respect. And he just said, don't want you to club, free to leave, fine. So, um, that summer, Eric Black phoned me, who had been, he was at Birmingham with Steve Bruce, number two, and he went, are you getting, are you free to go? And I said, yeah, I said, we're looking for somebody to come in and battle it out for a number two gig with Colin Doyle, and I was like, fucking hell, Eric, get me in. I'll work it out, yeah. So he went, all right, I'll make it happen, just wait by the phone. And then, about three days later, Blackie phoned me, and he's like, big man, I don't know what you've done, but Peter Reed fucking killed you. He's told Bruce to fucking not touch you with a barge pole. Fuck that. And and now that conversation flicks back in and you're like, you bastard. Where's the need? In oh, one thing that, I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, um, I never realised how political the fucking game is and how it, there's so many jobs for the boys in football as yeah. well. Yeah. It's fucking, it's mental, like you say. He don't want yeah, he's not having yeah. Why what's the fucking problem when you're going somewhere else? Like and uh, how does that affect his day? So then that it just shows you how people's careers can be changed because I went from potentially going to a club in the championship, a, a fucking good club, you know, yeah, yeah. not to play. I knew I wasn't going to play, but I'm involved in a good club, like probably prog- progressing as a goalkeeper with coaching, etc. And then I panicked and left to go to Bristol Rovers, which was a Fucking horrendous move for me. I just went there because I wanted to play football. Mm. Just going back to the, the thing, obviously, nearly went to Blues and then it comes out about Peter Reid. Did you ever say to him, what's, what's your problem? What's the point? Yeah. yeah I've, never, uh, I've never seen him since. 
obviously during the time you were at Cobb as well, you went out on loan a couple of times to Rushton. But what I was that? Fucking loved it. Did you? Loved it. Yeah. Obviously they were in a relegation battle at the time. And um I went there and had had a really good I think I had thirteen games there, I had a really good spell, I had like six or seven clean sheets for them. We ended up they stayed in the league that year. But again it was Hodgie had went there as a goalie coach. And Hodgie was like, I need you to come in, I need you to do this. And I was like, fucking, I'll jump at the fucking chance to go and work with you again. And then again, it just so happened, like obviously playing at a lot lower level, you yeah. know, championship to League Two, but just fucking going again with Hodgie. And like, as I, even though I'm 23 at the time, just feeling that love, like we're all humans and sometimes we just need to feel that as footballers, I feel. Just to know that somebody's got your back and you're not yeah. yourself for every mistake you're going to make because then that just brings on mistakes. So went back to working with Hodgie every day. Fucking loved it. Honestly loved it. Helped him stay in the league. And there was actually, I had a lot of interest coming to the end of that season. Obviously, I think we Blues nearly kicked off. And then I remember Doncaster put a bid in for me. Um, they were desperate to sign me. And I obviously had a year left in my contract at Cov, and there was a guy called Graham Hover at the time who was. I remember it. Oh, absolute idiot. <laughs> and, um, I always remember like getting told that obviously Doncaster had put a bid in, and it wasn't a lot of money, and I was owed a lot more money from the club and wages than this bid. Yeah, and I said, yeah. look, just give me that as a severance because I'm taking a lower wage to go to this club. And I'll just walk away, and that's it. Yeah. Right. No, not giving you a penny. And I went, crazy. You know, that, that money's getting that money spent already, and I was like, "How the fuck's it spent when you're not going to get it if I don't leave?" Yeah, literally. Yeah, like you could sit, you could sit on the bench for you taking your money if you wanted to. Well, I wouldn't have even been on the bench, so it'd have been, yeah. I'd have just been surplus. But yeah, that just goes to show you some of the, the things that go on in football. But they're all things that you learn by and in, in your career you know you've got a lot of downs but you've got a lot of ups obviously I, yeah. we've, only, we've only spoke to you at the minute for 45 minutes but I just get the impression all you wanted to do is just play football you didn't care where it was as long as you were playing you weren't really bothered oh well again at that age obviously I was I had a late start and then of course you want to just play football it's all you used to fucking do <laughs> <laughs> You get home for school, you're organ- you play school uh, football all day at school, you get home for school, you play football, you dream of playing, you, you dreamt of playing in stadiums like Highfield Road and everything, you know, big crowds, you you dreamt of this as a kid. And then, for me, it, like you say, I didn't give a shit where it was, I just wanted to play. Yeah, you, you, you touch on Highfield Road there and playing at stadiums there. Were, were you there the, the, the last game there at uh, Highfield Road? I, I was out on loan to Rushton that season. So I wasn't sure if you would have been playing that day or if you were actually at, at, at the ground that day. I think if I remember rightly, Kevin Pressman was on the bench for Cov that day. It was, I think Steely was in goal and fucking Kevin Pressman was on the bench. It was a Pressman? No, it was... Who did it was it? Award, wasn't it? Ian, Ian Bennett. Was it Bennett, was it? Was it Do you know what? I think, it, I think it would have been. Ian Bennett was playing, maybe? And, and, uh, if Dev, um, Steele played, I'm pretty sure he played. It was Ian Bennett. Yeah, Ian Bennett was the key for that day. Madness. Ian Bennett, because I came back that season... For a game, because I remember 
Benno got sent off, and then Stephen Hughes had to play in goal for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah but I was getting stoke at home. Yeah, and then I came back for the. Obviously, Benno got a one-game suspension, so the club recalled me back from Rushton for one game. What for the way we won three-two, and then I just knew that I was getting farmed back out. But for Mate, me, I, I, I was there that day. Trevor Benjamin scored a handball, didn't he? And it counted. Yeah. <laughs> It was the first time I got to meet Trevor Benjamin in the shower as well. It was a pleasure. He's got a massive knob in it. <laughs> well, I don't want to. <laughs> um, for those of you who obviously you guys can't see this, is this is audio. Scott just put his forearm to the camera uh, to, to, so you can kind of make your own conclusions. Um, <laughs> during that game, though, is part of you thinking. I might just throw one in, in here, fuck it. Because you know the writing's on the wall. You kind of want to go back to Rushton or move on elsewhere. You think the gaffer's just used to be purely because of circumstance. Fuck this, I'm just going to have a singer. Nah, at the end of the day, it's, it's your job. Mm. You know, in, I'm for a working-class family. Coventry's much the same, you know, working-class yeah. city. People spent a lot of money. They travelled into Watford for that game. So you fucking try your hardest and you enjoy it every second because I didn't know if it was going to be the last time I'd play in such a stadium. Yeah. But, I mean, that, these are the thoughts going through my head. I was just like, I want to do the best I can do. And that, that game, I remember I was fucking nervous. Jesus Christ. My warm-up, I couldn't catch the ball. <laughs> Never forget it. I was fucking petrified. Um, <laughs> and just to get off the pitch and obviously nobody won 3-2, I was just like, if that's my last sort of involvement with this club, at least I'm I'm happy. It was a good sort of good memory. Here's a question for you, Scott. And be be completely honest. Do you think Cobb are the biggest club you played for? Um, I would back then. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Cobb were a really big club then. Um, I think it was just at the start that that was the start though of the. The real decline. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. As soon as they moved to Highfield Road, it was Carlton. But then I played like Rotherham. From what I felt when I played at Rotherham, Jesus Christ, Yorkshire teams are unbelievably supportive. Different gravy. Yeah, different gravy. Unbelievable. And I know you mentioned like Kirky was on the phone. But I remember playing against him for Sheffield Wednesday in a derby, and it was fucking mental. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bet. So, um, I was in the army up in Leeds, Harrogate Way, and you could just tell. Like, we used to go to Sheffield for, for the weekend on the piss, and whoever was at home, you knew about it. Yeah, like, whether it was Wednesday United, you fucking knew about it. It was it was a big fucking deal, and it's a fucking hell of a night out as well. Oh it's yeah, yeah, it's good night. Fucking banger, love Sheffield for a night out. No, I, that's, I always remember speaking to a lad at the gym. Obviously, you go to the gym when you're in the football club, and there's a gym that everyone goes to. So I remember being in the gym. I speak to this lad, just chatting away. He was a massive Rotherham fan. He's like, he says, oh, "What do you do then?" He's like, "I'm I'm unemployed." And I, I went, "You just told me you go to every fucking game." He went. I'll, I'll, my, my life dictates around my ticket for the wow. game. He says, so, if I need to get a ticket and it's 30 quid or whatever it is, it is weekly money that he got for benefits. He says, I'll, I'll just go and buy like three pizzas from Morrison's 
I'll split them down the middle, and that's my tea every night. Well, I'd like to win, man. And it's like, but it's stories like that that, that always like sat with me. So then I would like make sure that I would say to him, right, obviously people don't realise this and, and I'm not claiming to be fucking Mother Teresa here, but then I made sure there was a ticket from every game. Yeah. So he would come and he would get, he would get a ticket every game at Rotherham. But that's there's, and I'm sure like obviously a lot of footballers do a lot more. We know that now. We know that footballers are fucking good people. But that just sunk into me and I was like, he ain't the only one. Yeah. He ain't the only one. This club fucking more than football to people. Exactly that. You, you know, me and Dave, we've been up and down the country watching the city. And I, I think if we even thought about putting a price on it, it would make me feel a bit sick. Yeah, I would never want to think about it, to be fair. When you actually think about, uh, uh, you know, the, the time away from home and stuff like that. But... I think the interaction from players is, is normally just enough. The fact that you always you always see the negative in the press about footballers, about how they're flash pricks and they've done this and they've done that. You never hear the stories like what you've just said there. Or I remember reading a story that Tyrone Mings did at Ipswich. A lad tweeted him saying, good luck in the derby today. And he said, oh yeah, I'll look out for you. He said, oh, I won't be there. I can't afford a ticket. So Mings said, your name's on the door sort of thing. Just yeah. things like that never get publicised. And that's what pisses me off. Because, let's be honest, most people just want to fucking, most people want to hear the bad things, don't they? And fucking, and like continue with a stigma that footballers are pricks. Have you ever got any, ever got any bad press yourself? Um, a lot from my performances. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. I, I was never big enough to make it into the press, was it, to be honest, so. Which is which I was happy about. I was never one yeah, that wanted yeah. to be in the press anyway. Fuck sake, if I was in the press for anything wrong, my mum would have beat the shit out of me. <laughs> so, so, we mentioned earlier when you went to Bristol Rovers, you said yourself it was a bit of a shit move for you. Um, were you were you sad to leave Cov, and why did it not work out with Bristol Rovers? So yeah, first of all, obviously I was gutted to leave Cov, but I mean at the same time I'd sort of I saw a change in the club. Obviously, we had I had four managers in two years for a start. Just like fuck, this isn't good. And then obviously the, the last two didn't particularly like me very much. Um, and I'm one of these that I am the way I am around the training ground. I'm loud. I'm fucking. You know, I love a bit of banter, but I'm serious at the same time. But I do. I I just wanted to enjoy every single fucking day doing what I yeah, doing yeah. what I was doing. And obviously the last two didn't particularly like me. So I'd sort of felt the right was on the wall while the doors for me that season. I just knew that, you know, that's the way it was going to go. Was I gutted? Of course I was gutted. I was leaving a fucking big club, you know, and I, I sort of felt that I'd failed in a, in a sense. You know I mean? I, I moved down to sort of build this career and I, I felt I was so close at times to potentially, I don't know, taking it to another level somehow. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just didn't get there. And then and then it's just the way it is. That's the way football is. It's it's not very kind at times. Yeah. But it's not like you're fucking unhealthy and you're fucking dying or anything. You know, it's it's just it's your career. So you've got to fucking like everyone does, you've got to make career decisions. And for me moving to Bristol Rovers, 
at the time. So obviously the Doncaster thing fell through because of this twat Graham Hover. Yeah. Yeah. Not paying up and stuff. And and then I sat and I, I dwindled too long and that, that deal went away, which I was devastated with. Because it was a year before they just moved into the new Keepmore Stadium. So the only thing I had on the table was was Bristol Rovers. And I was like, I went and met the manager, Ian Atkins, and I remember I met him in Solly Hill. And he sort of sold me it. Do you know what I mean? He sold me the world. And then I was just like, right, fuck it, I'll do it. Went down there on the first day. Everything that was promised, I just realised I was like, oh, fuck. Like, there was no goalie coach. There was no training ground. There was no... Okay, no. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, no. And then I found out the agent I had at the time was working for the club rather than me. And you're just like, oh, yeah, bastard. What a bad move this is. Yeah. So, but every cloud, Bristol's a good night out. Do you know what? I, just, I didn't like Bristol at all. No. Do you know what? I fucking love Bristol. I think it's a nice city, but yeah, if you've been sold a dream and you're fucking up a river, I can imagine it being a bit of a shit one. I mean, I'd, that was, I'd say, I mean, I've been very open with my mental health problems during my career recently, but when I look back at it, that was the proper start of it. Yeah. And I remember then, my, I took over, I remember I signed my first game, right? My first game, I've never fucking played a minute for the club. I went out onto the pitch in a friendly. Number one, Scott Shearer. Jesus Christ. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? What's what's happened there? And then basically it was because there was a a lad, a a homegrown goalkeeper, the manager had let go and they loved him. It's not your fucking fault, is it? Again, that's football, isn't it? Football fans love their own. Mm. And... And that was it. And I just, I didn't perform at all at that club. And obviously went from getting coached for, by brilliant goalkeeping coaches for the last two years to fucking getting told to go in a corner with a ball. with like some young lad for fucking 20 minutes. And, and you're like, so I, pro- I felt that I proper went backwards then. Yeah. The proper, it was a really, and that's how I I stress this to young lads that I speak to nowadays. It's important that you, if you are, if you do have an agent, you know you fucking have a good agent, one that truly gives a shit about you. So, yeah, did, did you fuck yours off after that move to Bristol? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine you got a swift uh, a backhand to get the fuck out of here. And then, um, yeah. so, so, you, you play that season with Bristol, and obviously. It, it, it weren't the best in terms of you personally. Um, the, the, you move then to Shrewsbury on loan comes up. Um, is that just a case of the second you get that phone call, you think, fuck, this just get me out of here, I'm going? Well, here's how bad it was at Bristol for me. I I had bought a place and I used to live in Hinkley. Okay. Yeah. So when I moved to Cobb, I, I looked at a map and I just looked at distances. Didn't know anything about anywhere and I bought a place. So Hinkley's quite nice, to be fair. Yeah, but everybody was in Leamington. Yeah. He's banging in the middle of Leicester and the neat, and how the fuck can you call it a nice place? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was, I mean, I was fucking, I was at all my time at fucking Doyler's most of the time, so hardly there. But 
Bristol was that bad for me. I lived there for a year, the second year. It's so weird how it happened. The week before that loan move came up, I remember saying, fuck it, I'm moving back to my house in, in Hinkley and I'm just going to drive to Bristol every day. That's a commute. Because I, I had, like, obviously, all my mates were up here. You know, I had Craig Peake, Gary McSheffrey, Tom Cudworth, you know, the lads at Doyle. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd, I had fucking, like, a good core group of, like, lads my age that were fucking brilliant to be around. And I was like, I'd much rather commute and just make sure that I'm, I'm around good people. So I didn't feel I liked the people very much in Bristol. Not all of them, but 99.9%. And, uh, yeah, so then the loan move came up, and I was like, fuck, Shrewsbury, hour away, perfect. Yeah. And then again, went there, and I just loved how fucking old school it was. Loved it. And then, obviously, unfortunately for me, Quite for, well, fortunately, I had a really good season, done really well, helped them get to the playoff final. And who do we fucking play? Bristol Rovers. Oh. Bastards didn't let me play. I was just about to bring that up. How fucking livid are you that you get to the fucking playoff final? And it, There's 92 football league clubs. There's 23 other clubs that could have been in that division that season. And it fucking had to be them. Are you just sitting there going, fucking anything else? <laughs> I remember I was phoning the manager, phoning the chairman at the club, and I was like, fucking pricks, like, you're ruining, like, my dream here. But then you got to think it for their perspective. There's a contract in play. It is what it is, you know, it's just unfortunate for me, but it was just annoying. That was the first final at the New Wembley as well. Oh, was it in the new... I was going to say, was it was it in Cardiff for the New Wembley? Was it the Wembley? One at the New Wembley, so disapp- I was gutted. But then, again, you say that, and I've, I've said that, but going into it, because I had that good a season, I'd already signed a new... I had signed a contract with Wickham Wanderers, a three-year contract, on like my performances that season. So, although I'd have loved to have, you know, been able to play and, like, hopefully get Shrewsbury to the next league, my, I, I felt safe because my future had already been decided. Yeah. How, what, how was it at Wickham? Did you enjoy it? Well, I mean, I still live down here just now. I love okay. it. Yeah, I love it down here. I've got my children down here now. And obviously, when you get children and they go to school, that's it. Yeah. You're like, you set roots. But yeah, my first season wasn't great. A couple of months in, I had a fractured dislocation in my right ankle. I was out for 10 months. Um, and then... Yeah, the next season, Paul Lambert was the manager then. Okay. So again, that season I was injured. Neil Lennon came down to play with us. Fucking, it was crazy. Paul Lambert's your manager. Used that in my advantage. Got a good few Celtic Rangers tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the second season, the manager left. Oops. The manager left and he, he went to Colchester, I think it was. And then Peter Taylor came in and fucking breath of fresh air, like, loved him. He seems seems quite old school himself as well, Peter Taylor. Brilliant, because, but do you know the thing was, he he was, but he just fucking loved, he loved, like, my kind of character and personality, he loved it. He he seen the real benefit it was for a, a squad. And plus, I was playing really well. 
I always remember that season. Soccer AM had like a a goalkeeping league for like yeah. for games. Yeah. And I was the only one out of the Premier League that was on that table. Remember, I was fucking buzzing, mate, myself. But <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I, I've watched Soccer AM religiously growing up. Uh, and even still watch it now. And I remember that because you used to have the golden plimsoll as well, which was yeah. uh, points per the goals per game or something for strikers. Yeah. And I remember Andy Morrell nearly won that. It was over at Covel Blackburn, uh, Blackpool nearly won that. Um, and I remember keeping that up for that. But I remember that season because you were you were the player with uh, team of the season that year, weren't you in League Two? Yeah, I won. But, I was team of the year that year. Yeah, huge achievement. Um, yeah. Obviously, to be voted for your fellow players, that's fucking top notch. Um, so you can tell you're having a great season. I remember watching it thinking, Scott Shearer, he was okay for us, but with all due respect, I never expected to see you in like a team of the team of the season sort of thing. Yeah, that. Uh, so then you see that, you just think, fucking out. Obviously, you know, you're going to have to do good things. Um, and I guarantee you, that you did not say he done okay for us. Don't lie. <laughs> 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 He's up a pants down there, hasn't he? In all honesty, mate, I, I, I thought you were okay, and, and that's and that's the biggest compliment I could pay. <laughs> in the fact, I call keepers a lot fucking worse. I'll take it. I was going to say, mate, we've had a lot of fucking worse over the last couple of years. I tell you, you're playing under Peter Taylor at Wickham. Um, like you say, you're in the player of the year. You're having the time of your career at that at that time. <sighs> that that's got to be fantastic. You know, you you go into the next season and things don't quite work out. Um, yeah, so that, that that season didn't end very well for me. To be fair, um, I remember. So my my first operation that I had in my ankle, I had pins and screws and everything put in because it was a clean snap and a like. Uh, so a 90 degree dislocation in my ankle. So my foot was pointing the other way. But the, the surgeon that done it wasn't like, a, so obviously when you when you have surgeries in football, they usually get you the best in that fucking field. Yeah, yeah. Because they know how a sportsman's sort of joints work and how they need to repair it, etc. And the guy that they used for me, he wasn't. And he sort of put my ankle back in a way that so for a normal person just walking around, you know, doing whatever, playing football with their mates, would have been all right. But for me, obviously, the, the stress that I was putting through, it made my ankle worse. So by by Christmas time, I was struggling. Excuse me, I was struggling to walk my dog. Like basically, I found out he'd set my ankle wrong. How did you get injured, mate? Was it in training or in a game? Yeah, I was in training. My st- I was. I, I tell you what, I was actually. Breaking in a pair of those predators, the first ones with the blades. Yeah. And my studs get caught in the grass, and I just heard snap crunch. And that was it. Fucking hell. Yeah. So, yeah. And then obviously, towards, I think it was it was February time. And I mean, I went to the manager and I said, I'm, I'll, I'll bang me up with fucking pain meds, inject it, do what you need to do. I'll play on to the end of the season, but I need to get something sorted. And I remember the fitness guy at the time was like, she goes, you need to watch yourself here. Like this, you know, this is the long-term effects could really affect you here. But when you're in a football here, you go, fuck it, I just want to play and I want to, you know, be successful. And we were flying at the time. I mean, at Christmas, we were nine points clear or something like that in League Two and we were doing really well. 
And then obviously by February time, my performances started to really dip. And the manager was like, what's up with you? I'm going to take you out. And I was like, do you know what? I can't argue with you, but I'm struggling. And he, so he took me out. And then I said, I want to go and get my ankle checked then. Like, I'm not going to play now. So he thought that was like, Peter Taylor thought that was me being a bit of a prick because I wasn't playing. And then I came back for the specialist and the, the guy was, I seen the specialist on a Wednesday and he'd booked me in for the following week for a surgery again to repair it all. Fucking mental, that. What's the Greg Podcast? Follow us on social media for all of the latest news, releases and giveaways at What's the Greg PC. Like you say, you think you're getting the, the best treatment you can. and then... Yeah, so to be fair, that, that guy fixed me and, and since then, you know, to be fair, it's it's as good as it can be for the type of injury it was. But yeah, the next season moving on to that, I was, again, the whole politics behind the club, like, you know, the chairman and the manager fell out, the manager left because he wasn't getting the budget. He came back like two weeks before pre-season. It was like, you know, we didn't get a squad good enough for one. And we got fucking battered nearly every week. But And then I remember towards the end of that season, I had, in one of the games, I'd made a save and I hyperextended my left arm at my elbow. And I remember the pain. I was like, fuck, that was painful. But you just got on with it. Yeah. And then towards the end of that season, I got I had been taken out, and there was times where you couldn't I couldn't actually see my elbow it was that swollen. That, I remember playing a game against Brentford, and I think I had the physio said you've lost like eighty percent of range, you know, eighty degrees of range from your arm. So you imagine the goalkeeper that that ain't a good thing. So I then went well, I'm, I'm going to get released here, so I'm free at the end of the season. So I went and got. They found out there was a big bit of bone in my elbow that had broke off. So I went and got that fixed. And then, yeah, and then obviously that was that. My time was done at Wickham. Yeah, you ended up at Wrexham, but you only played nine games. Was that through injury or? No, it's fucking, it's mental how football works. So Dean Saunders was on to me and he's like, What's Scott, the want... <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I want to sign you. And he was brilliant. He was like, fucking get up here. Blah, blah, blah. So I'll be honest. I'd, I'd went to train with a, a Hungarian team, uh, Ferenc Baros. I'd trained with St. Johnston and from Scotland. And, and there was nothing there. There was an offer from the Hungarian team, but I just thought, no, nah, it's not right. And then the only other thing I had was Wrexham. And then I was obviously really hesitant of coming out of the league. Yeah. The league. And signed, I like moved my fucking family up there, everything. <laughs> and then... Dino's like, obviously, you're going to play. Fucking, we've got a young lad. He's a Welsh under-21 goalkeeper. Good potential in the future, so we're going to work on him, just so you know. But he then played really well for, for Wales under-21s in a Euro qualifier. And Spurs and Everton wanted to watch him playing. So <laughs> I always remember it. Me, Andy Morell was there at the time. Yeah. Um, Gareth Taylor, that some experienced Franks and Clare. We were sitting in a dressing room. And we were all talking about it, it was fucking weird. We were all sitting talking, it was like, a, we used to come in training before a Tuesday night game, just to go through a set of plays. And we were sitting in the dressing room, we're like, we're talking about how when the assistant manager comes in and calls your name before a game, you just, you just want him to say, you're not fucking playing. And we were all laughing about it. And the assistant comes in and goes, Scott, the gaffer wants to speak to you. And I was like, 
Shit. <laughs> 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 like, look, this is a script. Maxie's like the one to look at him. He's going to play four games max, and then they're probably going to buy him. And the club needs the money. I'm not going to bullshit you. That's just the way it is. I was like, again, I can only respect honesty. Yeah. Where I am, and I said, fair enough. And then obviously that that didn't work out. And because they had that sniff, they kept playing this lad and playing him. And he was doing all right, to be fair. And he's been on to have a good career, Chris Maxwell. But it came to, I remember it came to December time, the 17th of December, we were playing AFC Wimbledon. And I said, obviously, my, my ex partner was, she's from Wickham, hence why I've stayed here. And I thought, do you know what? I said to Dino, I'm going to drive down the Friday night, stay at her parents, and then I'll meet you at the, the stadium. And he's like, yeah, fine. And on the way down, he phoned me and he went, Crawley have come in, they want to sign you. And I was like, all right, I'll speak to them. Went down and spoke to them, and that was it. Signed there. So Steve Evans signed you at Crawley? Yeah. Jesus Christ, uh, I didn't realise it was Steve Evans. Yeah. <laughs> who I can only... Obviously, you played for him again later on in your career, so I, I know you're not going to slate it too much. Um, but a lot of people have questioned some of the stuff that... Uh, some of the methods he has and, and the way he is. What's he actually like? Because he comes across on telly as this lad and a live character. Um, you know, I've heard stories from that other players have told on podcasts about him. And he seems like a bit of a cannon. Like, what's he like as a gaffer? Do you know what, right? Regardless of whatever he is and the way he does things, it fucking worked. Yeah. I got, to I got fair, oceans in a row with him. You know, I had two at Crawley and then I went and followed him to Rotherham and had two back-to-back again at Rotherham. So at that level, he, what I thought he'd done really well was he created a fear. No matter if he's brought you in in a big contract, he created a fear that you were you were not you you were replaceable. Sorry, do you know what mm. I mean? It don't matter who you are, you're replaceable. Now, everything that he done, obviously, he's fucking mental. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? One on one in a one on one conversation, he's a fucking great guy. Well, it, well, he was with me, and you only go on how people are with yourself. Yeah. Did it ever get to the point, like, when you listen to stories about Decanio at Swindon, it was literally like a circus. Did it ever get like that with Steve Evans? Nah, not to that level. I mean, he would, he would bring us in on a Sunday at 8 o'clock if we had played shit on a Saturday and, you know, he'd done that kind of stuff. And there was some some things that he'd done that you're just like, that's fucking so wrong. Like, But that's just opinions in it. He's, yeah, he's yeah. doing stuff. And... and Again, I'm, I'm not going to slag him or say anything bad about him because I had a really successful period in my I, career. I think as Cov fans, we don't really like... I don't like him anyway, and I'll be honest, it's the fact that he always gets in Mark Robbins' ear all the time. He always slags Robbins off when he plays against him, so I've got no time for the bloke. <laughs> but that's that's him, and, like, yeah. you know, he enjoys that, that role. And sometimes it really worked for us because, fucking, like, when I, I joined Crawley that, that Christmas and... We went on to be, I think we've still got the record of points in the, the conference, you know, unbeaten run, all of this. Like, it's fucking unbelievable what, what you achieved there. 
Um, what's you like away from the game? Like if when it's like a party or something, when you've been promoted or having a beer for Christmas, is he a different character away from the game? Yeah, he's not a big drinker. He's not. No, he's not a big drinker. You know, he's... that surprises me. He looks like a bloke that would look you see in every working man's club or down the country. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just a bloke who loves his football and loves a swig. No, he's not a big drinker. Um, didn't really get involved in it too much, but. You know, one thing I can say from is that, you know, every promotion that we got, apart from the playoff final with Rotherham, because it was too late, but every other one, there was a trip to Vegas. Oh, that, that, that's class to be fair. So, you know, we, and I, I had a lot of time for that. Yeah, there's two players at Crawley um, that, that I just want to touch on. Um, so, Tubsy, who scored for fun at, at that level, um, he just it just looked natural to him. Uh, how good a finisher was he? Oh, he was fucking incredible. Not just finishing, by the way, Tubsy. He, he was such a brilliant team player as well. Like incredible work ethic. You know, came again, came into the game late from Salisbury. You know, scored a lot of goals there and then got his chance at Crawley and then took it again and then, you know, went up the leagues to Bournemouth and stuff and done really well for himself. But, yeah, fucking just a goal machine. Like, in that first season, though, Tubbsy always worked well off someone because he was clever with his movement. Mm-hmm. So, in the first season, we had a guy called Craig McAllister who was just yeah. a, you know, won most of his headers, to be fair. So, you'd get the likes of me that I could, I could boom it nearly the length of the park I'd boom it up to Maka, he'd win a flick on, Tubbsy's in, goal. And it was always a goal. <laughs> like, he yeah, just didn't miss. And then the second season, Maka wasn't there, but he brought in a lad called Tyrone Barnett, who was fucking even better there. And Tubbsy and Tyrone that season, when I think they both of them got moved on for about two million quid, the pair of them. So, yeah, we were, we were lucky as a team. The, the other player I wanted to touch on, you had a young lad playing in front of you, um, who Cov fans will know quite well now. Fads. Oh, Fads, what a lad. <laughs> yeah, I, I love him now. I think he's probably the key member of our squad at the minute. Properly, um, properly that he, he strikes me that he's hard as nails. He was only a young kid when he played with you. Um, what, what was he like in front of you? Yeah, no, honestly, Kyle would give you a fucking heart attack because I'm <laughs> old school and, like, he's, he's able to take players on and, like, he was the only player, like, I mean, when we played at Crawley, he was centre-half and then when we played championship clubs in the FA, FA Cup or whatever, he would sit as a holding midfielder and he'd just fucking boss it. Fuck, no, holding midfield? He would fucking boss it, Fuck honestly. That. And then you're just like, this lad's unreal. And... And then you look back at his career and at Sheffield United, you know, there was some weird stuff went on there with him. But, you know, I think there was a thing about one of the managers saying that that was the biggest regret of, like, his time at Sheffield United, like, not bringing, not having Kelvin Fadgen through. Like, he was fucking thought of that highly there. And he just sort of, whatever happened, went off the rails a little bit and luckily came back in and, and he's went on to have a fucking incredible career. He's one of the players at Cobb at the minute. Um, he splits opinion a bit. I, I genuinely think when he's not in the team, we're a, a lot poor side than we are when he's in the team. But some of the fans, they just can't get behind him because he, he's got the odd ricket in him. But 
Yeah. He's a centre back. If you make a mistake as a defender or goalkeeper, you're probably giving away a goal, aren't you? Yeah, but it was the same with Doyler. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then Doyler's not when Doyler was in a team, fuck me, you knew it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You knew it. Like he he covered like two or three players worth of ground every game. You know, and he done the simple things. And people don't see that usually, do you know what I mean? So but I I, I get what fans think about Kyle, but again, the major the majority of the time he doesn't make a rick. You know, yeah. and he keeps possession and and as a club like Kov who keep possession, you're going to have to just accept that he's fucking human and he will make a mistake now and again. He's at the back end of his career a little bit as well, isn't it? And I think some of the mistakes is, I'll say in inverted commas here, the mistakes he's made, uh, there's a couple of penalties that spring to mind. I think the QPR one, the start of the season, he was just caught a little bit flat-footed like by a quicker player. But the, the one away at Forest. The, the lads cut across him as the last man. There's not a lot he can do. I'm still not having that as a penalty now. We've argued about that so much. Yeah. I don't think it was a penalty, man. 96 minute as well. I'm still angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, but me and Dave have WhatsApp about that a fair bit. Um, but you can tell when he's in the team, he just has this natural aura about him, doesn't he? He's, he's a big lad. He, I, 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 the games last season, you could hear him talking. You know, he had Dom Heim and Michael Rose, two young lads either side of him that he talked through the game quite a lot as well. I think he's massive for us in, in terms of the, the experience he brings. Um, could you see him going on to be a skipper at, at that sort of age? Um, I'm going to be really honest, right? Fads was thick as pig shit when I knew him. <laughs> right? He was so lucky. He was a fucking unbelievable footballer. But... <laughs> I've watched him as his career's progressed, and like you say, he is a—he's got such a good football in mind, really good football in mind. And when you think it like that, no, I don't think it's any any shock that he's going to end up being a skipper at a club because, again, he's probably—he's probably not the big screamer and shouter, but he's a fucking good communicator. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you don't need to be a screamer and shouter anymore. You just need to be able to. Because a lot of young lads can't can't cope with that. They see that as like a, a personal attack. So the way he communicates is probably will probably get the better out of some players around him. But Scott, but when when you were at Crawley, you mentioned you got two promotions, and that that's like the first big success you had it as a footballer. Was was that when it when it settled in? Kind of, it was all worth going through what I went through to, to get to here. Well, I had the promotion at Wickham, and then obviously. I had to take a step backwards to move forwards type of thing. That's the way I looked at it. Yeah. And then obviously, but the th- see, the thing is, right, the success was just the outcome at Crawley. I don't know why, but I've always fucking loved it when it's just pure old school. So we used to have to drive our cars to a, a school and we trained on this fucking bog. And it was like, <laughs> it was pure and utter Mike Bassett. Right, <laughs> four, four, two. Yeah, four, four, fucking two, just fucking <laughs> the wingers and the strikers do their job, but yeah, no. Listen, as much as we talk about, I've had, I feel that I've, the downsides of my career and things that I went through, you can look at them really negatively. I looked at them and I thought, you know what, it's just made me stronger throughout my career. It's gave me these these experiences like early on of how football really is because you're. 
you're blinded by it. Like when you come into it, you think it's rosy, you think you're going to get paid a lot of money and fucking play well every week and what a fucking life. And then you realise that ain't the fucking case. You're going to play shit, you're going to get abuse. You're going to fucking, you know, your contract's gotten down more than any other profession you'll fucking have. And you're going to get shat on. <laughs> Simple. And, it's, and that's it. So these lessons, I used them as just positives. And I was like, right, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to enjoy. And when I went to Crawley, oh, fuck me, man. I, we did not want to be, we had a driving school. And I was driving from Wickham. So a couple of lads. And then we met a couple down in uh, Chelsea, in M25. We did not want to be late one day. The fucking dressing room we had. It was just a fad would, fads would comment on this. It was a team of wrongings. <laughs> I've, I've just looked at the squad. Yeah, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> a team of wrongings. Even at, if you ever speak to fads, ask him about. We were playing, I think it was Hull, fourth round of the FA Cup. Yeah. And morning of the game, me and him are having a. We called it a naked sock wrestle. <laughs> You're in the room, all naked, but you've got your socks on, and you wrestle each other until you take the other one's socks off. And he's a fucking strong bastard, let me tell you. But the two years were absolutely fucked. And just for the record, if he, have, if he, he does listen to this, I beat him. <laughs> but then we went out and we beat Hull 1-0 away. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like... That was the mentality. It was like old school and Mike Bassett, but it worked for that squad. It, it, seems it, mate. it seems it. It was fucking amazing. I loved it. That's fucking grand. See, you're right. You say you got to, you end up getting to the fifth round of the cup that year, uh, losing to Stoke. You had uh, went out to Palace in the Football League Cup, uh, the Carabao, whatever it was then. Yeah. But you you were League Two side that's just been promoted from the conference. And then you finish third and get promoted again. Like, how's that? Back-to-back promotions. Just, that's got to yeah, be fun. Again, it? Things that people don't know. So that season, that, it was uh, February. It was just before my birthday. And we played on a Tuesday night against Cheltenham, who were one of the rivals at the time at the top of the league uh, for promotion. And I remember the pitch was fucking like classic Steve Evans. Two managers said, let's start the game. See how it goes. If the pitch gets unplayable, we'll stop. We are winning. So Evo was like, fuck that, we're not starting the game. <laughs> but the pitch is unplayable. Like it's getting it's starting to freeze up as we're playing on it. But I remember that that game, the 30th minute, slid out at a lad, uh, Jermaine McGlashan, his name was, and he's caught me just under my knee. And I didn't realise at the time, but he's ruptured my posterior cruciate ligament. Right. Oh, wow. So I end up I finish the game. We win the game. Wake up in the morning, can't bend my knee, can't see my kneecap, and I'm like, fuck. It's my birthday next week as well, so I think I'm 32. I'm out of contract in the summer. <laughs> I was like, fuck. So, end up going to see a specialist. I went, yeah, you've done this. No, don't, they, don't, they don't do surgery on it, I get told. So I was like, all right. Six weeks' time, he's fucking said I'm all right to go back to train. So I'm training. I've still got a ruptured cruciate ligament. Every dive is painful, but at that time, I'm like, like people don't realise, but lower league, I was the only one that earned money in my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then I ended up playing 
the last game of the season, Accrington away, still with a ruptured posterior cruciate. And we, I think we won 1-0. We you kept a clean sheet. Kept a clean sheet. And then I remember this, and this is how fucking shit football is. So you do that for the club and like the, the owner at the time and the chief exec and that, they were like, thanks for doing that for us. You know, we really appreciate it. We're going to look after you with a contract. So I'm like buzzing. Fucking absolutely stitched me up. Fucked you off. Yeah, they, they offered me something, but it was fucking horrendous. And then I was, and then that's when Steve phoned me at Rotherham, and that's why I went up there. Did you go into Rotherham as number one? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Was, was that at the new ground or at the Millmore? Yeah, no, first season at the new ground. So again, club was really moving forward. It was, it was a good time to be there. I've been there a couple of times and genuinely, if we ever got our own ground again with what's going on, I'd love it to be based on something like, like their new ground. It's a great, great ground to go to. Yeah, changing rooms are dog shit though. Are they? Yeah, dog shit. Like, you, you think they've got that much money that they give you decent, uh, decent changing rooms? Thing like my first season at, at, at Rotherham, again, fucking ended up having surgery in the October for an injury, for a knee injury, came back from that, then fucking had a, an elbow up, came back from that, because the elbow up was a beauty, frozen pitch in the Tuesday night FA Cup, they've made us come in on the Wednesday morning, the ones, nobody played in the Tuesday night, the ones who weren't going to play are doing extra, so you're like, how the fuck does that work? So... <laughs> They've ended up sending us to this old school hall in Rotherham. It was at the college, in fact, and it was the wooden floorboards. So I went, this is fucking dangerous, man. Right? <laughs> this is fucking dangerous. <laughs> and I'm talking five or side goals with the mat in front. Old yeah. Jesus. Yeah, blue thin mats. Yeah. <laughs> I a first shot. I went to dive. The mats went flying. I've elbow dropped to floor. Another chunk of bones came out my elbow. <laughs> Right, so I've just come back to this fucking, oh, yeah, I tore my ACL, but I didn't need reconstruction, thank God, so I've just come back for that, eight weeks out, it's a week after, this fucking happens, and then you're like, fuck's sake, so then I had to go and get surgery on this elbow to get, and they took a piece of bone out, probably half a fingernail, and then... (laughs) Yeah, and then I fucking it was just crazy. And then, but again, you're talking about a club, brand new stadium. I had to go and buy my own icing machine. I had to fucking do like, had to go and pay for all my own shit. Really, club just didn't fund it. You fucking walking my out terminate after the injury you've been for. <laughs> oh man, I had fucking eight operations. Have you? I was, I was just about to say you've been under the knife more times than my fucking dinners, and I'm a fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, so that season at Rotherham again. So you're back with Steve Evans. You get promoted. Um, everything's all good. Again, you've got another great dressing room. That's like Danny Nardiello. Um, yeah. You know, is Frecklinson there and Pringle yeah. lads like that? Yeah. Pringle, you, Alec Ravel, like all these lads. I mean, good dressing room. It was a. Again, I, I mean, I'm talking here and I'm saying a lot of negative shit, but the the ups far outweighed the negatives. Do you know what I mean? Every day was fucking brilliant. And one thing I enjoyed about Steve's training was it was 
he didn't let anyone slack. So training was intense. Do you know what I mean? We didn't work on set plays and all that. People moaned about it, but it was just the way it was. We just fucking worked our bollocks off and got out, got home, or went to the gym or done whatever. So great, great squad. It, it looked it, and you you went on a bit of a tear that second season, uh, and, and you kind of you you went on finishing fourth in the end, um, and, and and going through the playoffs. Um, how was that? You know, you had Orin that were under Russell Slade and were doing quite well at that time. Um, obviously, you you made the bench this time. You weren't ruled out from from playing. Um, when that game goes to the playoffs, are you quite glad that you're sat on the bench? No, I was, I was fucking gutted. I mean, that season, to be fair, again, the elbow that I had surgery on the year before, I ended up having something called synovitis in it, which is like a real thickening of scar tissue, so it looks a bit like seaweed under the microscope. And obviously, again, my elbow was fucked. And I remember we played MK Dons away, and there was a picture. There was a cutback, and I, fucking, I was really... Like adventurous and cutting it back, it was like seven yards out or something. And it was a Gleason's feet, I remember. Uh, but you can just see my arm can't straighten. And because of that, I've, I've dropped the ball at his feet and he's just knocked it in. And after the game, Eva was like, I'm going to have to take you out. Like, to be fair, he gave me enough chances that season. Can't say anything bad about it. And then again, the the problem with a goalkeeper is, is that the other goalkeeper, Adam Collin, came in and was fucking incredible. And then he ended up being the hero at Wembley. So, yeah. Of course I'm gutted not to play. Fucking, that's the, the ones you dream about. Um, but, again, it's it's not about you. It's about the team, isn't it? And just to get that that recognition for the... I mean, it's a season is tough yeah. mentally and physically yeah. for, a, for a footballer. You know, you make a lot of sacrifices away from your family a lot of the time and... People don't realise, they just think it's two o'clock, home, doing fuck all. But, you know, there's you miss out on a lot. And when you get that at the end of the season, it's like, fuck, that's worth it. Yeah. Is that the final where um, Steve Evans runs down the line and, like, his pants are falling yeah. down? <laughs> are you picking yourself on the bench? Oh, fuck. No, to be fair, I didn't even notice it because we were going mental. Yeah, that's fair. So I didn't even notice it until after the game. But, I mean, again, as much as people slaughter Stephen, there'll be a lot who will slaughter him. But he just wanted to fucking win. Yeah. And I, I think, mean, think that's one thing I respect about him as a winner. As, as long as he gets results, he doesn't care how. And if you're a fan of one of his teams, you fucking love him, don't you? Well, that's, I mean, do I agree with everything that he does? Obviously, I don't. But it doesn't matter what I think. He was the manager. We're talking about Hoyes of, obviously, winning at Wembley. Onto it, onto a lab again. You get released by Rodwell. Uh, how how was that? How was Steve when he got released? Was he all right with you? Well, to be fair, I, that's I mean that that time in that period of my career was when I was in my I had proper went into the depths of depression. Then okay, I, I was commuting. So I was back living in Hinkley in my house, and I was commuting to Rotherham every day on my own every day, and I was just just had a, another newborn, and you know it's just like fuck me. I had a, the year that year. Including that year, I had I had my PCL injury. I had newborn baby. I had a house move. My mum nearly died in front of me. I 
And then I had two surgeries within my first six months at Rotherham. It was a fucking mental year, like yeah, just man. for anybody really. And I think it just took its toll and I was I was in a real bad place then. Every day I was driving thinking I'm just going to fucking end it here. So not nice, but, you know, I remember at the end of Wembley, I was looking at the Rotherham fans because they're, they're mental, like Yorkshire. They're fucking brilliant. And I was like, I knew it was it, but I was just trying to take it in and enjoy it. Yeah. And then... Obviously, we had the celebrations and a big night out and everything. It was fucking brilliant. But I always remember the next day, we stayed at a hotel next to Wembley. And the next day, it was like, right, everybody on the bus, we're going up for an open-top bus. And I hid in the toilet. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going back. And I just fucking, when the bus left, they were all looking for me and everything. I was like, just waited. They, they left. And I remember I jumped on the train. Just fucking, I was back in the, in the dark dungeons. Uh, how did you get through that to come back to where you are now? Really, you've got to fucking hit rock bottom before you can truly, like, know that you need help. Like, for me, it was those big moments where, I've, I've said it before on podcasts, but I turned into a prick, like a horrible person. And obviously, I had two young daughters, and, you know, you're really influential, and, your children's lives and I remember one night just screaming and I was fucking like this broad Glaswegian at three in the morning because my youngest wouldn't sleep screaming like fucking I remember seeing my young daughter crying in front of me and my partner at the time crying my fucking baby crying and I was just like what the yeah. fuck you're like wow. something's not right here I need to like you know actually do something about this now and that was it it didn't stop there. I, I made steps towards it, but then obviously for me, I couldn't just talk to anybody. I had to speak to somebody. In, in hindsight, I had to speak to somebody who could speak my language, who understood how my... Yeah. Because, like we say, obviously, you're a professional athlete. You, you think differently to the normal person, really. Yeah, definitely. And and that's crazy to think that, like you say, you've just gone through what should be one of the best days of your life, winning on penalties at Wembley you know, culmination of a long season, like you say, where you give up sacrifices. And, you know, most people will be thinking, I can't wait to go on that person, go and have a few beers and, be, you know, receive the adulation that you deserve. And there's you kind of showing away from it. That's It just shows that the amount of people hide. You, you, do, you know, some people are really good at wearing that mask. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you, Scott. A couple of years ago, I went through a bit with myself. I've got a young one as well. And I found to deal with it, I just got on the piss all the time. Did you kind of go through that stage? Yeah, so, I mean, I would just... In the second season, I, I ended up renting a room in a house in Rotherham because I was like, I'm just going to stay up. And I think a couple of the lads at the time knew I was in a bad place, to be fair. But when I stayed up there, I always remember I used to go to Tesco Express and they used to do three bottles of wine for a tenner. Yeah. And I'd buy three bottles of wine and fucking end them, like just neck them that night and be in a fucking fucking hell. Mate, I, I've, I've been there, man, sat on my own in the kitchen, you, you're doing 10 candy, you're just thinking, look, I need to get out of this, but I can't. Yeah, and, it, and that was me. I'd just sit in my, my room, nail three bottles of wine and fucking obviously have all these horrible shit thoughts. And then wake up and then obviously that affects your performance and training the next day. And it just, you know, it's just the snowball effect. But, again, 
it is what it is, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I could have, I could have reached out earlier and got help, but I didn't. But just thankfully, I did when I did, and I didn't do anything stupid. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, so when you say you reached out, or was that through the PFA or? Um, so yeah, the- or- I remember, I I reached out and I spoke to. For me, a big thing's trust. So I, I spoke out to I spoke to a, an old club doc who I trusted. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she was like, look, so she knew me for what I was, and she, and I was like, look, this is the way I am, and I'm fucking struggling, like really struggling. So she was like, put me on medication for six months, and I always remember, like, I was just, I'm one of these ones. Even after every surgery, I've never took any extra painkillers. I'm just like, just let my body deal with it. And I, w- I remember just going, fucking, I'm not taking a fucking tablet to get over this. Like, no, you need to fucking get this in gear. So I was sort of searching then to to sort of understand what was going on a bit more. And I reached out to the PFA and they put me in touch with a counsellor. And again, didn't work for me. I remember just going to the guy, just getting in my fucking head, like, tell me what the fuck's going on, man. Yeah. And he would just be like, oh, and how does that make you feel saying that? And I'd be like, oh, fuck off. Um, and mate, I had exactly the same account. So I just thought, you, look, you're asking me questions, just fucking help me out. It's pointless me being here, wasting my yeah. time. And then I spoke to, there's a, a lad who I'd done the first time I came out with my depression, I'd done it with my, the guy that I spoke to. It was a lad who, he used to be club masseuse at Wickham with us. So he was part of that whole staff set up and got on him really well and we'd stayed in touch. And then he was, I always remember I was following him on social media and he was doing this thing called the Truthful Trainer. So he was a PT and he was basically just saying, if you want to lose weight, you don't lose weight because you're a fat cunt. Yeah. that was it right and he said it how it was and I loved it and I was like I remember following him for months and I was like I built the courage up and I phoned him and I was like man I'm fucking I need to speak to you like I think you could be the one who could understand this with me just like my, my head's completely gone and help me understand it and straight away it was just like what's up with you and I was like oh, I'm depressed and he's like well you're not just depressed there's fucking factors that... and he just went into it and he started making me fucking think about it. And it was just a total different way of how it had been happening with me. And then all of a sudden, I was, like, engaging with him. And I was he was giving me books to read. And he was giving me, like, tasks. And, yeah, the guy the guy fucking guy helped me massively. And, and at that point, it's like, it sounds daft saying this, but, like, the fog lifts and you can start seeing things properly again. But you're like, oh, shit. You know, like you say... Your performances were affected. You look at the next couple of years of your career. You had two games at Crew, a game on loan at Burton. You, you weren't playing a lot of football at that time either. Um, is that something that kind of tied into the fact that you feel the way you were? Yeah, it was. I mean, the Crew thing. I mean, I signed there and I knew I didn't fit the club. Didn't fit the club at all. It was. It was. I hated it. Hated it every second. And I'd went there as a player coach, and. Yeah, and then as soon as January came, I was like, you need to let me go out and loan. Like, I don't care where it is. I don't care if I need to go as a number two somewhere and challenge or whatever. And that's what i done. I went to Burton because Gavin Ward was a goalie coach and Wardy was like, come here. You're not going to play to start, but should your chance come, you know, it's up to you. And I just, I wanted that. I just wanted that. And so I went there for six months and obviously they, they ended up winning the league and it was just good to be a part of that. And then I remember I felt... I just felt like I was really part of something because Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was a manager 
and he Kay loved did a really good job as well, didn't he? Yeah, he was really good, and he and he really enjoyed my character and what I brought to the dressing room, and he understood that you know there's a there was a role for me there. Quite a young squad. There was a role for me there to sort of try and get people out of comfort zones, and and then obviously I signed for Mansfield. And again, I'm still at these points. I'm still I'm commuting loads, and I'm on my own every day in the car, my own thoughts. And you spoke earlier, uh, Neil, about the, the masks. And yeah. That's what we when I done this podcast. That's what we called it because I'd have these fucking. I was driving from, I was living where I was now, down down in, like next to High Wycombe, and I was travelling to Mansfield every day, which was. Two and a half years each way. And then, but when I'd get into the training ground, I'd be like this bubbly character, like nothing was ever wrong with it. You know, nobody knew anything. And then as soon as I get in the car, you just literally literally turn the engine off and as you open the door, you go, right, leave that there. Yeah. Or that's shears is here, let's have a bit of banter. And the second you back back in the car, it's as if, you know, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders again. Just that cloud comes over you again and you're, you're back there. But, it's, it's a yeah. bit off topic, Scott, but I'm guessing an inspiration to you, as it is to me, Tyson Fury. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read his book. Obviously, it's fucking incredible, isn't it? I mean, yeah. to, obviously, you look at the level he's at and fucking what he's done. It's fucking incredible. And I mean, it's and it's so good, like you say. People like me and you take inspiration for this. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's millions of people that are taking inspiration for that. And now, and now you've got people like... I'm not saying myself, but you know, there's sportsmen and sportswomen coming out who yeah. the the people who pay to go and watch these people, you know, they could not believe that these people are going through what they're saying. But it's the same like until you mentioned mentioned it tonight, I didn't know you'd gone to mental health. At, at the start when we started talking, I thought, what a character like this fella is, and then you, you get deep and you realise it can affect anyone. Usually find the, the louder ones. Yeah, that's it. More by it. Um, but again, it's all part of learning now. And, you know, it's still like everyone, we all get down days now, but I know my triggers now and I know what I need to do to stop myself from feeling really bad. And I still, and it's good now because I get, I get people coming to me now and be like, fucking hell, she is. I'm feeling shit. Like I've listened to your podcast. And so again, Fucking makes me feel good being able to help people. Yeah, right, 100%. And, you know, we've touched on the before, like we spoke to Chris Kirkland and he was really honest with the, with the battle that he had with his yeah. uh, mental health uh, and, the, and the stuff that he's doing with his charities and stuff now. I think it's fantastic that we're now in a position where, like you say, although the game's changed a little bit from what you grew up in, it's great in the fact that these players that I grew up watching, like you say, we've gone up and down the country paying money to watch you guys play. And I'll come out and say, do you know what? Feeling a bit shit? Yeah, we've been there too. This is our story. And it, it, it really normalises it because yeah. we, we do live in this macho, mano man society, you know, fucking bullshit. Yeah. And, and especially in football, there's another topic we could go into about homosexuality in football, which I'm not even going to touch that fucking thing at the minute because that's another... Three hours we could be talking about that, but you know the, the fact that people are open up and talking about their, their struggles with mental health uh, and the battles with depression, I think it's fucking huge. Yeah, massive. Because it's like I was really skeptical about doing it, and the reason I was skeptical about doing it was because I thought 
and this is crazy, but I was like, but I bet you some people are going to be like, what a prick, like jumping on that bandwagon. Like yeah, saying, that. he's coming to the end of his football career and now he wants to get the sob story of, uh, I had depression type of thing. And my mate was like, you fucking wanker. Like, why are you thinking like that? And then, I, and then as soon as we'd done it, it went live. And wow, like the fucking, like made me really emotional because the amount of people who reached out people who I played with, people who I went to school with, and they all fucking reached out to me and they felt safe enough to say to me that they were struggling. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, this is, this is like so much bigger than anything that I thought. Just another point to touch on with mental health wise, Scott, obviously you're on Twitter yourself. Um, and in the day and age we're in, a lot of depression, especially with the, with the younger kids, does come through social media. Have you had any bad experiences on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, I remember my time at, well, obviously when I was at Cobb, it wasn't really there. But, oh, yeah. but even still, I always remember it affected my mum because she'd gone to these forums mm. and like people were just fucking abused. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's toxic and like, but your family would get affected by it. And then, so then it would affect you really because you're like, fuck, like, I don't want that. Like, my mum's upset now. Fuck. And then, but then I remember when I was at, especially when I was at Rotherham, I was that bad. Even if I'd played, I, I could have got man of the match, but I would search Twitter for negativity. So, so, so you'd actively go looking for it? Oh, 100%. Because my brain was just wired for, like, like finding it to, to sort of give some sort of verification of how I'm feeling. Is the yeah, right I've said it's a did, did you respond? No, never. No, never, never. I'm not. A, I'm, I mean, I'm on social media and stuff. I'm. I've never been massive on it. Again, when I was playing, I was always quite not shy about it. But I didn't. I didn't really want to put loads on because I always thought I'd just get fucking abused. Mm. I, I think it's, it's it's a good point you've made. Obviously, and before we went live, we were talking to you before we went live, and you were saying like it's, it's a different game now. And yeah. I think it, it does kind of bring us on to the end of your career. And we both agree it's a different game. So it just got to the point where we just thought, I'm done with it now. It's not the game I'll come into. I want out of it. Yeah, I mean, I always remember hearing from like guys back in the day, like Shaws and all that. And I remember people saying to me, you either move forward with the game or you need to get the fuck out. Yeah. And I got to that stage where I was just, I was like looking at it and don't get me wrong, I think I could be a really good goalkeeping coach. I do, I really think I could have I could have went far in that career at a first team level. But we've all got to start somewhere. And mine was obviously just going in a couple of days a week at Oxford Academy. And I even just I just didn't see I don't know, maybe I'm just I could be quite harsh on people, but it's just I'm I'm brutally honest. And I just didn't see enough hunger. And these younger lads. Mm. I, I get that, but if I'm a footballer now and, and you're coaching me, I would rather you be honest with me than tell me you're doing all right if I'm playing shit. Maybe that's just me as a person, but surely as a player, which you were, you would prefer honesty. Yeah, but I'm not talking about people being shit. I would never say that to a person. I'd never say that to a, a young young lad trying to make it in the game because it's my job to fucking help him as a coach yeah. and try and inspire him and get him better. But... I just didn't see hunger. I didn't see them like 
like for instance, when I was at Cov, I was playing, I was playing the majority of games in my first season, but I was I was always out first. Do you know what I mean? I was fucking when the when the drill went, like when the drill finished, I was the one that was playing. There was Wardy, Peggy, and Hodgie, and Richard Brush at the time. Richard Brush. <laughs> me and Brushy would sprint to get the fucking balls. And this is meant to be our rest, but we'd sprint to get all the balls, we'd get them in, we'd place them perfectly for them to serve, and then it would be our turn to go in. So you'd be blown out your arse, and then you're like, fucking right, I need to get myself together. But that's just the mentality we had. Whereas, and again, I'm probably prehistoric in the way that I think, but I just don't see enough of that. Like, you know, you're always, I felt like you, a lot of coaches have to wipe their arses now. Yeah. I agree massively. Obviously, we're not in the game, but me and Neil kind of think the same about this. I think the, the biggest thing for me, I've read a lot of books and listened to a lot of podcasts. And from what you read now, young players don't, don't even clean pro, older pros' boots. And I think this when that stopped, the game just went for me. I think you, you're the same as that, aren't you, Neil? Yeah, I think it's the case of not necessarily doing chores and fucking cleaning toilets and that shit, but... I've always been under the impression, and again, like David says, I've, I've never been anywhere near a first-team changing room, but that's a, that's, a, that's a sacred place for me, is for you to be able to walk into that first-team changing room, you need to avert your stripes. Yeah. As it, yeah. and I think you, the fact that you look at the, the, the things that are in place now where you have to have so many homegrown players, you know, you can name nine substitutes, which is a fucking stupid thing if you ask me. Um, you know, you've got a match day squad of 20. So some of these smaller clubs, like your, your, your Mansfield, your Burtons, etc., they're going to have to bring kids in to, to, to fill that quota. And yeah, it's good for their development as such, but at the same time, there's, there's kids that are thinking they've made it before they've even fucking kicked the ball. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing a story about um, a lad who started his career at Millwall and he was in the A-licence with one of my friends and not going to name names, but they were like chatting about development and, you know, it's not about this, it's about the development and we want to do this and that. And he said, nah, fuck, he put his hand up he's like, nah, I fucking disagree. Do you think it's 17 playing at the Den as a fucking black kid? I was getting enough time for fucking development. Yeah, what a shout. So, again, it's just the way football is. I just think probably the way society is now, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you've stepped away from the game. Um, yeah. What are you doing for yourself now? So I'm a financial advisor now. Ah, yeah. So re-educated myself, which was difficult transition. But again, it's made me realise that just because you're a sportsman doesn't mean that you can't put your, you know, what everything you take away from a sporting career. Jesus Christ. There's a lot of transferable skills in there. It's incredible. There's so many life skills, you know, workplace skills. You know, you work with 40 different people every day. There's different ethnicities. There's different characters. Yeah. There's different religions. There's everything, do you know what I mean? So you, you sort of know how to deal with all sorts of people and it's just normal for you. Uh, are, that, you are you working nine to five now, like, like a, a normal person? Oh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm working as an advisor, so you know, some nights you know, it's just whenever my clients need me really. And again, I've got I'm helping a few younger footy lads, you know, I'm I'm trying to get in there because 
Yeah, I got stung by an advisor when I was at Coventry. You know, he yeah. fucking ditched me up a bit and it's left a sour taste in my mouth. So that was part of the reason why I thought about this career. And then it's just to sort of help these lads make make the correct decisions. Everyone thinks, obviously, financial advisor, you're going to fucking scam me out of thousands and shit. But, you know, a lot of the time that I'm working with these lads, I'm, I'm not getting paid for most of it, but it's it's helping them be sort of tax efficient and helping their money. And even just the education side of it, on their money. Is there any plan, any plan at all to get back into the game? No. Not at all? No, I'm done. I'm happy. I've got two young daughters, like I said, just to get my weekends back, be able to see them, you know, and plan a normal life. Did you still sit down on a Saturday afternoon and watch that soccer special? What's the scores come in? I'm going to be honest, no. No? They don't follow the scores at all anymore, no? But, uh, I might, Saturday night or something, like the lads that I look after, I always keep an eye on them. See how they've done. Do you know what I mean? And say well done to them and stuff like that because I've got a genuine interest there. But I might look. I'll, I'll look back at old clubs if I'm looking at scores. Um, but I'll be honest. I don't watch football now. Not even sell. Not even sell it. Nah, I've fucking, I don't support football anymore. To be honest, I've I've had enough of it. Fair watch anything over the championship I, I, I can't be doing with VAR and all that bullshit well, me and Dave sometimes play five side on a Monday so if you if you ever fancy that and you're in the area mate uh, <laughs> you know that that's what I would be up for yeah uh, I'll say, say it in jest but I'm sure that's the sort of thing you think I fucking love a go at that <laughs> yeah we used to play me and PD used to play five sides in the off season it got us fit as fuck for the season yeah mate I, I, I enjoy playing but I drink and smoke too much I'm blowing after five or ten minutes man <laughs> Yeah, I don't smoke, but fuck me, I'd be blown as well. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, the right in connection, the uh, the little place next to the training ground. No, it was the place over at the at Warwick Uni. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. I, I played there a few times myself. Yeah, it was over there. It's fucking great, isn't it? I, I bet I bet it raised a few eyebrows. You and PD turned and up. <laughs> I grew up not far from PD uh, in Thailand. Some boy as well, to be fair. No, but it, it wasn't that's the thing, Neil. It was like. You didn't get fucking treated any different. You're just yeah. a fucking, you're just a lad that wanted a fucking kick of it, which is, and you'd get fucking abused if you were <laughs> shit. So, so you'd get more abuse than anyone else. To be fair, that those are the days when my frustrated striker came out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love, I love that kind of stuff. I love keeping fit and keeping active, but yeah, the thought, of, I'll be honest, the thought of putting gloves on now and diving about, oof. I mean, I played a, I played a game for, I think they call it Coventry Legends last year, uh, up at Leamington, one of the supporters clubs thing. Played yeah. that. Oh, fuck me, Jesus Christ! Well, I think I, made, I had to make one save in the whole game, and I fucking put my back out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was driving back after the game, and I was like, I phoned Doyle, and I went, "You fucking prick, getting me to play that." <laughs> It was an absolute agony. But, again, these are the sort of things that I would enjoy doing now because it's a good way of just catching up with everybody. Definitely. You are listening to What's the Crack? In association with JMR Property Maintenance and Rialto Plaza, still here with Neil, still here with Scott, and we're going to go through a couple of quick fire questions. Scott, first of all, mate, best manager you've played for? Oh, I'd say the first six months, Peter Taylor. Yeah. Good shout that. 
good track record in it, so I, I, I can see why you've done that. Dave, you, you always get the serious questions, mate. Um, biggest character you met in football? My my best mate away for football as well. One of them, John Messino. He's a he's at Oxford now. Yeah, yeah. He's a yeah, funny, funny lad. You, you always you always mention you get the serious questions, but the, the funniest thing is the serious questions you wrote them, and I wrote the shit questions. But we always ask them in different orders. <laughs> uh, so next one, um, you might have just answered it anyway. But who's your best mate in football? Yeah, so I, I actually feel very fortunate that I've came away for the game and I've I've got people that I can call like real true friends. So let us see, I'm still in touch with the chefs, PD, Doyler, from you know the day I moved down to England, 2003. Uh, but then I've got John Messino, um, and then the like. I've got to be fair, my last year I had a really good friendship struck up with Jamie Mackey. He was at Oxford with me. Again, another absolute cannon. What a guy. <laughs> I've seen him like, just on social media. He seems like he's off his nut. He's brilliant. He's brilliant, honestly. Worth his weight in gold. Dave, go on. I'll, I'll let you ask this one, mate. Um, I, I know you can't say too much, Scott, but your, your best Christmas party story that you can actually tell on camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, fucking, there's a lot. Obviously, we spoke off camera, but yeah, just kind of whatever you can tell. On camera, I remember just one that's you know for everyone to listen to, and there's not going to incriminate MD. Um, we at, at Wrexham, there was a a lad there who was he was he was a practicing Buddhist. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so he was fucking brilliant. He came in and like he would have like he didn't give a shit about material possessions. Didn't have a mobile. Had a little fucking wallet thing with everybody's phone numbers and pen and paper stuffed in there. But anyway, gets to the Christmas do and he's like, comes to me and he's like, "You'll be up for this. We ain't getting a fucking hotel. We're going to fucking try and break into the university." <laughs> <laughs> in the university building so I'm like fucking I'm bang up for this I'm a, I'm a tight ass Scotsman you're saying I'm going to save money and buy a hotel yes I'm fucking up for it so end up we get to the fucking building we're talking about not in a room we're like talking about just trying to get into the janitor's room and just having a place to fucking lie down so we get there and obviously I can't go into too much detail but it doesn't go well well, and then yeah, ends up a night, and we got a sleep. Don't worry, we got a bed, but just in a place we didn't want to have it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can guess what that was to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and then there was another time at Shrewsbury. It carried on at the Sunday. There was about six years it carried on. Seen one of the lads chatting to a, a bird in this shit club in Shrewsbury. And somebody says, go and rugby tackle him. And I'm pissed at the time. So I've got to rugby tackle him. And I'm fucking speeding through the air. Take him out. What I don't realise is there's a big fucking solid wood coffee table in front of him. I land face first, snap my nose. <laughs> I've come in the next morning to training. I remember the manager at the time, he just looked at me and he, he just went, right, well, 
let's just talk. The other guy looks fucking worse. I'll be honest, Scott, but we've asked this question to a few people, and by far, that's the best answer we've got by Moyle. Uh, I've got the time to work for that. So, so, so you mentioned that um, you had a roommate that night. Um, <laughs> maybe not the one you wanted. <laughs> who, who was your best roommate that, that you shared a room with in your time in football? Do you know what? Every, every one of them. Every, I'm not even just saying that. Like, I'm not sitting in the fence, but everybody's got their own. Like, you know, I remember old school days, you know, fucking Wardy when I was at Cov. He'd be like, I'd be sitting down in the bed watching TV or something. He'd be like, Milton to Scott. <laughs> that way. Fucking all right. You'd get up, you'd be like, kettle on, fucking. And some lads used to have to, chefs used to have to run baths for people and stuff like that, you know, these kind of stuff. But as you get older, like, everybody you room with, you sort of just get on with them in a different way. But I mean, I did room with, with Moose when we were at Oxford together, and that was just fucking mental. We used to just cause carnage. <laughs> just, just run around, just in sort of people's rooms and putting porn on and running back out. Oh, fucking. There was one at Shrewsbury, right? I'll never forget it. It was, it was a game in the 1st of January. And uh, we were playing Stockport at home and the manager had put us up in a hotel in Hogmanay. Obviously, there's no fucker in the hotel. And, like, we're the only ones. And me and the goalkeeper at the time, a guy called Chris McKenzie, he was a fucking legend. Me and... Me and Maka were like, we're bored, let's go and fucking cause carnage. So we went round and we bought loads of, went to shops, got loads of shaving foam, covered everybody's door, <laughs> shaving foam, like, just fucking covered the hotel. Didn't realise there's cameras in the hallway, so we've come in the game the next morning. And the manager's like, right, there's a, there's a five grand hotel bill. Basically, if you don't fucking win a day, I know, who, I know what two pricks it was that were doing it. The bill's on you. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I was shitting it. And then I remember going out. I made best save in my career that game. And we <laughs> went on to win the game. And I swear to God, we I celebrated like it was fucking winning the league. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, being a tight Scotsman fucking all day long. <laughs> uh, moving on to, I wouldn't say it's a serious question, but it's, it's not like a drinking question. What's the best game you played in your whole career? Best game, football yeah. game. Yeah, any game you played in that that you think is your best in your whole career. I think well, we'll chat about Cov because obviously, but I remember playing Cardiff away at Ninian Park, and I saved a Graham Cavanagh penalty that, and Peter Clark gets sent off in forty-seven seconds or something. I remember that. And then I saved a penalty, and then Chef scored a penalty, won the game, and I had a fucking, I, I played a really good game. That that game always. Sticks into my mind. Not a good place to go in any part, neither is it. Uh, proper old school ground. Loved it. I, 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 as an away fan, Ninian Park still to this day is one of my favourites. I've been to proper how a football ground should be. Well, when I went to when I joined Bristol Rovers, I actually went and watched Cov play at Ninian Park the next season. Loved it. For, yeah, it's, it was a different gravy. Um, that you know segues perfectly into our next question. What, what's your favourite ground to play at? Highfield Road, mate. <laughs> you know what? It was up there, like, obviously, in a game that I played well. <laughs> but um, <laughs> oh, this is all. favourite ground to play at. 
it, it would be an older stadium. It would be like Highfield Road or um, just like Ninian Park, these places where there's like real fucking atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? You, you felt like crowds on top of you and you just, you get interaction with the crowd. And um, so favourite ground, I did like Ellen Road. Mm. Yeah, good away day leads us. Fucking love leads. Yeah, you, obviously, Scott, you mentioned, I know when you played that, it was kind of empty. But as a Scotsman, playing at Hamden must have been a, a big a big thing for you. No, nah, not really. No? No. Nah. Just because you know you're not playing there for any sort of special reason, if you know what I mean. Like if yeah. you, it's not a cup final, it's just a league game. And, and you know why you're playing there, because they own the stadium. So it was just another game. I'm going a bit rogue, but before Neil answers the next question, I know you mentioned that you don't really follow football anymore. Um, how did you feel when Scotland qualified for the Euros? I'll be honest, I didn't even know. No? Didn't you know. Just, you really really don't care about the game anymore, do you? <laughs> no, I've just stepped away from it. Obviously, then you, you see it and you get, fucking, you get excited and you're happy for the lads that are involved because you know what it takes to get to that, that stage and that level. So there's a lot of work that's went in. So you're happy for them. When you see the videos on social media of Yessa Eugen Boogie, um, wicked by the way, honestly, even as an Englishman, I was like, That's what I want to be in that dressing room. I, want to, I fucking want to be there. Does that, does that kind of make you think oh, that's the part of the game that I miss? No, I don't miss it because I look back and I think I had, I've got memories like that. I'm literally thinking just now, I've been chatting to a few people, like you've mentioned that Kirky's obviously big in charity now. and and help now and it's something that this year it's on my list to do is, and I'm I'm going to get rid of all my sort of promotion medals and auction them off and stuff because for me they, there's not memories in them for me but for a fan there's more memories if you've got any, got any cough shirts mate get on to us before you go anywhere else <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take you, you joke I'm, I'm, I'm a kit stater I've got loads, <laughs> I've got loads. I, I, it's a bit sad um so, this could be scored against you, but the best guy you've seen live? Best player? The, the, so, the best goal that you've either conceded or you've been the other end of the pitch and seen it going and think, fucking hell, that's a bit of all right, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the best would be Alex Ravel, playoff final, where he's 40 <laughs> yards and he's... And I know, and listen... Revs, if he ever watches this, will not mind me saying that is not his fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes it even more special that he's he's been able to one hit target and two from such a far di- long distance out. But yeah, and just the meaning behind it and everything. Yeah, I think that's probably probably up there. Fucking not a bad goal that word to be fair. Going from goals goals to saves. What's your favourite ever save you've made? Apart from the one that saved you five grand. <laughs> you know what but it's like it's usually it's, obviously you can make these top corner saves and yeah. stuff like that but it's usually saves that people don't realise you've made and that that save I was telling you about against Stockport it's probably up there as my best save and it fucking means nothing to a lot of people but to me it was like <laughs> I'll tell you it was a long throw in it, nobody headed it it bounced it went over, and then about seven yards out, there was a lad, overhead kick, and I'm going across to go on my right-hand side. 
and the lads were calling me semen at the end of the game because it was like <laughs> semen against Pesky Salido. Salido, yeah. I've managed to like claw it and I've tipped it onto the post. But at that time, we were 3 2 up and that would have made it 3 all and they'd have then gone to win. And then we went on and won 4 2. So saved me two and a half grand. <laughs> the game, so yeah, that's it. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's one of those days where you go in one way or the other. Is there ever a time where you know you've made a save, it's gone out for a corner or anything, and centre half time manager going, "Fucking, I'll have you pulled that out." Yeah, I mean, obviously as a keeper, you've got you make loads of saves, don't you? And a lot of them are routine. Let's be honest, but then. You know, you, you do get a few a season where you're, even your teammates go, fucking didn't know you had that in you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, to, yeah, there's there's a few. I mean, and I think it's always better when they're sort of match-winning saves. Yeah. yeah. I remember at Rotherham, we were playing, we were actually playing Oxford. And again, it was a, I think it was a free kick that came in. And guy headed it six yards out. I tipped onto the post, got up. Guys smashed a rebound. I've reacted with my feet. It's went 40 yards down the pitch, and then we went down and scored the winning goal. So, like, we've got like anchored memories of specific things that happen in the game, but yeah, that that was up there. And I I hate to ask it, but your biggest howler. Great question. That is, you've gone rogue there, Neil. I tell you what, mate, there's a few at Highfield Road, isn't there? <laughs> oh, I remember the one at Highfield Road when we played in Wigan. And yeah, so do I. <laughs> it, was fucking, it, was, it was so weird. I just took my eye off it and I was spinning the ball. So instead it came into my like, midriff, it sort of span and it ended up hitting off my left shoulder. And then obviously their players came in and tapped it in. And then as, as he's running past, I volleyed him. Human, <laughs> and then yeah, that was that's one of them. Yeah, but I mean, there's been there's been a lot, and every mistake that costs a goal, you you sort of you know you you know that you've cost your team. Well, we mentioned earlier about obviously some point this year you are going to give away medals and stuff you've won. Um, what's the best shirt you've swapped with someone? I never ever swap shirts. Never. Nah, it doesn't. It wasn't something that. I was always proud of whatever club I played for. And I was proud of like wearing like, a strip and like you know, you know what it's like as a young lad. You just fucking desperate to be a footballer. And yeah. I always wanted more in strips, so I've I've got every strip that I've played for. I'll tell you what, Sufo swapped me a strip once. <laughs> Sufo swapped me for a Cameroon goalkeeper oh. top. Okay, um, but yeah. And I'll be honest, like when I went away with Scotland, I never got to play. So, I, you know, I didn't want to be that guy who was didn't play and go and ask for a fucking strip. Like it's for the lads who play, I think. Yeah. Is, is Patrick Sufo as, as hard as nails as he looks and acts? Sufo was a fucking nutter. <laughs> yeah, no, Sufo was a good guy. I've, I've heard stories about Pat. To, to be fair, he agreed to come on his podcast and he's blanked his phone for the past four months. We haven't spoke to him yet. <laughs> I always remember in the showers when Sufa was playing about, right? I'll never forget this. It's fucking hilarious. He's playing about and he done something wrong to Big Mo. Jesus. And, and, you know when, and you know when people say stuff and you go, oh, he's fucking serious there. Mo turned around and just went, really kind of went, 
Patrick, you do that again and I will fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and like everybody went. Yeah, you will. Yeah, okay, Sufo, you better fuck off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, did, did, did he shit himself today, Patrick? No, it wasn't that he shit himself. I just think we all knew what Big Mo was about. Yeah. So, to be fair, the bloke went to war, didn't he? So he, he can have a scrap, can't he? Yeah, and, and like, he could give all the run for nosies, so... <laughs> <laughs> See, from what we've heard about Mo, he, he doesn't speak much, but I'm guessing when he speaks, people fucking listen. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you all get, you've all got mates that you've heard of, like, that talk the talk, but it was just something about Mo that when he spoke, you just went, hmm. <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> I ain't going to fucking, I'm not going to be the one that finds out. <laughs> uh, just before we go, go to Neil's favourite bit that I'll let him introduce because he absolutely loves it um, what's the best initiation song you've heard or sang yourself when joining a new club and you've had a few clubs mate so there's got to be a couple ain't there <laughs> oh, there's some absolute belters but um, I always done a bit of take that and then I mixed it in with Boats and Hoes <laughs> so I've done, done a remix and then, but I think the best one was it could be Jamie Mackey, Summer of 69, which ends up in him bollock naked. <laughs> <laughs> so what a way of fucking, like, initiating yourself to your teammates. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love that. Have you, have you ever had one where, um, you know, lads pulled out a guitar or something that you thought, oh, here we fucking go? Well, yeah, that, so Moose, he's one of them talented freaks who can just do everything. <laughs> he's even had lads fucking get them sing at their weddings and stuff. Fuck so, Yeah, he, he's that good. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely him. Fucking love that, mate. Love and that clap. There's a lad who's at Torquay, you know, Billy Waters. Oh, fucking unbelievable singer. I think he's, his initiation at Torquay went viral a bit there just because he's, he's such a good singer. Got a bit, has he? There's a few like that, yeah. See, if I, my worst nightmare, I couldn't fucking... You know, I look like a fat Gary Barlow, but I can't sing like <laughs> uh, fucking. I'm having, I'm having none of that. So literally, mine would be something. I'd get the hands going early, try and get everyone involved, and just fucking get myself down. Like get off that So for me, the ones that were really good, you'd be like, right, get off, fuck off. And the ones who were dog shit, you would like get involved and like <laughs> love it because it's just a bit. The whole initiation is dead now, really. Let's be honest. That whole side of the game is dying out. I mean, yeah. Again, it's, it's a shame, though, isn't it, that it's dying out? Well, this is what I mean. When I was at Crew, I get told I'd bullied the lads because I made them get up and sing an initiation song. You, oh, got, told you, you got told you bullied them? Yeah, they were saying that shit, you're bullying them. They're out of the zone. And I was like, wait a minute, they're about to play in front of fucking 5,000 people tomorrow. If they can't sing in front of 20 lads that pretty much see you bollock naked every day then what the fuck how, how, how are they going to handle that so yeah but no again it's dying out but again it was just that way of you know letting your teammates know that you could fucking just show that you're vulnerable in some sort of way really yeah. 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 It's, 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 I, I wouldn't like it but Neil I'm in time of a sanctuary when I've been pissed off in the night I was sending you a few whatsapps haven't I <laughs> I'll get one more Ronan Keaton song sent through to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. but, uh, the, the best thing that Scott is he gives it about his Irish. I've got full smells of him singing God Save the Queen. Yeah, as a wind up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
No one knows that, mate, when they're saved on my phone, do they? Yeah, to, to be fair, that, that's been edited out this podcast, so let's move on. Right, I think we've, we've got to the bit where everyone loves to hear. It's my favourite bit, the nitty-gritty. Um, the best 11 players that you've played with in your career, Scott. Are you ready? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I can't wait. I can't wait for this. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some people upset here. One that I've played... People that I've played with? People that you've played with, yeah. Okay. So, so, so I'm sure he's going to upset a few people. Um, are, are you going Steve Evans old school four four fucking two? Four four fucking two. <laughs> That's right. Who's to the sticks, mate? And the sticks. Oh, honestly, I think I'm going to go for Steely. Luke Steele. Yeah. Okay. That, to be fair. I think he's one of a unbelievable career. Came in at a tough time at Cov, like fucking was one of the better performers that season and you know went on to fucking smash it really. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's had a good I've listened to him on under the cosh and some of the stories he comes out with. He, he seems quite a funny bloke. He nicked a bird off Chris Alvarado, didn't he? <laughs> he's honestly he is He's a, uh, yeah, one of them sly foxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a good-looking boy as well, any man. He can do what he wants. What is he? Fucking hell. And he used <laughs> it, well, before he met his, his partner and stuff, obviously he's fucking, yeah. He didn't struggle, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right back, mate. I'm going to go from old mucker, Craig Pete. Love that. Yeah. Pete didn't get the career he sort of deserved I didn't feel like obviously before I came to Cov he had he burst into the first team squad and then he had that bad injury in a fucking reserve team game where he was meant to get back in the first team and that dogged his whole career and I knew what he went through and you know he's now fucking bone on bone in his knee and like people don't realise what, what he went through but I'd just seen what he'd done day in day out he was and he was unbelievable to, to sort of be around every day. And Definitely. for me, and for me that's, that's sometimes more the way you are every day in the training ground. It sometimes means more than how you just perform on a Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Um, I touched on the fact that we, we kind of know of him uh, through the city sort of thing. Every player that we've spoke to, though, that was at Cobb at the same time as him, has said that he should have had such a better career, but it, if it wasn't for the injuries, yeah. uh, I, I think that says a lot about the bloke. Yeah, definitely. Centre halves, mate. Centre halves. Uh, I would go as a guy called Craig Morgan. Yeah, he was Preston and played for Wales. Just hard as fuck. Just hard <laughs> as fuck. Just old school. No bullshit. Just proper defender. Love that. I love an old school defender who talks a lot of shit and gives a lot of shit. Yeah. He just fucking... You know, he wasn't one of these ones that was dirty. He just fucking... He was honest and just put people in their place. And, yeah, loved playing with him. Who's next to him, Scott? Uh, who's next to him? Shit. So you've got a few, you've got a few there, haven't you? You've got Big Mo, Shazak, McFads. Well, do you know what? I was 
looking at it, obviously the way that I'm playing, I'm old school, so I'm I'm back to front. So, but I I really enjoyed playing with Shawzer personally because he again, like you're talking about fads now, the people around you, Shawzer was that person for me. Yeah, who would, who would speak to me and he'd be like, you know, this will help you out. This will help you out. And he was always on the pitch as well as off the pitch. He, he could talk you through a game and it really helped me because it, it then made me be able to do that for other players throughout my career. Yeah, top rope as well. We had the honour of speaking to him for the best part of three hours of the week and just I was captivated listening to the bloke talk, in all honesty. Legend. He's a nice bloke, but he took the piss out of me a fair bit, didn't he, Richard Jordan? <laughs> you should have seen the club you were wearing. That's fucking money. I like a bit of pretty green. Leave it out. <laughs> Here we I'm go, left back. We talk about old school though, but I remember a time at Shaw's and it made it, it stuck in my mind and it's, it sort of shaped how I went on in my career. So you talk about the first team dressing room, it's a sacred place. Yeah. Mm. I remember a young lad came in, first team dressing room with a skip, got all the dirty kit, <clears throat> literally about to walk out and Shaw's went, excuse me, son, did you uh, chat the door before you came in? And he was like, no, nah, no. Nah. And he just went to walk out and he went, all right, all right, what you're going to do is you're going to come back in you're going to empty that skip, you're going to go back out, you're going to knock the fucking door, and then you'll come in when you're allowed to come in, and, I, and we answer to you. Wow. And, this, and this lad was like, is he serious? And I'm sitting there going, I don't know if he's serious or not here, because I'm not used to this. <laughs> and he went, on you go, go out and knock the door. And Shaws was like, he used to stay at the training ground for ages, and fucking used to listen to R&B and fucking dance about. He was a legend. And he was sitting there and like fucking moisturising himself up and, and then all of a sudden this lad's fucking chatting there and he's waiting forever. And you're like, he's going to let him in at some point. Fuck, made him wait like 20 minutes at least. <laughs> inside the dressing room door like <coughs> knocking on. Love that. He had the smallest shin pads known to mankind as well, apparently, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> how, how mental was that? Because obviously he, he's known for being... Loved the challenge, didn't he? Yeah, loving the tackle. Like, how is he getting away with having fucking kids' shin pads? <laughs> I know. It's just mental. It's fucking crazy, isn't it? Who would be left back, Scott? Left back. Uh, who am I going left back? It's a tough one. Come back to the back for me. Yeah, we'll come back to that one. Right, right inside the midfield. There was a lad at Crawley called Scott Nielsen. He was a fucking oh, unbelievably funny lad. But he was so influential for our team just everything about him so off the pitch on the pitch like a lot of stuff would go down him and I'll, I'll put him in for that nice um, middle of the park middle of the park I would put Doyler in there go uh, on the boy 100% like I, love, I, I fucking love the type of player Doyler is love it love everything about what he brings to the team um his banter's horrendous, but love it. <laughs> thanks to the team. Um, 
Yeah, Mecca. Um, who's, who's, who's he doing the running for? <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a there was a lad I played with at Wickham called Gary Holt, and ex he's like played at Norwich, won the Premier, yeah. won, getting the Premier League with Norwich and everything. And he came to Wickham with me, and I drove him every day. And somebody I, I looked, I, I proper looked up to, and he fucking like even at his and. and, and Elderly age in football was still one of the fittest, still training every day. Do you know what I mean? I was just, and he's went on to have <clears throat> like a really good management career. I was, was going to say, I nearly said he's either one that got into the, the wrestling because there was one no, lad that, 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 that was Grant Holt, wasn't it? Grant Holt, yeah. I was going to say, fucking hell, that, that, that's weird that you put him in. Is do you go to Scotland to manage? Yeah, he's Scottish. He played for Kilmarnock, played for Celtic, came down to Norwich. Stoke, like played in the Premier League for Norwich. He's a legend over there. And then he's went up and managed a few clubs in Scotland. Obviously, at the minute, Scott, we ain't got a left back. But who's playing left wing? So I'd put Ben Pringle in there. Good player. So obviously that time at, at Rotherham, you know, he was fucking influential. He scored a lot of goals, created like the amount of assists he had was incredible. Um, yeah, he was brilliant. Very good player, I must admit. Um, and who's he whipping balls in for? Um, up front, I'd put Tubbsy in there. He's got to be, isn't he? Yeah, just pure goal scorer. Um, and as well, I, I'd, I'd probably put Chefs in there. He's one of the best I played with. Yeah, he's, he was. He was so Chefs was so clever. He was a proper footballer. Like in the mind, knew where to be, and I, I'm probably doing him a disservice putting him up front. I mean, the season they had for Blues when they get in, I think he scored something like 30 goals to wide left. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I've, I've said this so many times. Obviously, he went, he went to Birmingham when he came back to Cobb after he learned that left hand roll side so well. When he came back, he was an unreal player on the, on the left hand side for Cobb when he came back. Yeah, he was. So I'm probably doing him a disservice putting him up front, but when I played with him, he was a, a striker. Um, oh, yeah. Stone John, the other spot was Stone John for a bit, where he played up front, and yeah. and they were they were really good together. Yeah, I remember he because he was always just he wasn't like over a, a long period, a, a long distance. He wasn't quick. People could catch up with him, but he was just clever. And he would play on shoulders, and he was just that little fucking rat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, the same as Doyle, really, a little rat. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously left back mate I'm su- I was surprised to be fair I thought he'd go for Steve Staunton no to be fair I think Stan's Stan's legs had sort of went at that point yeah they had to be fair yeah um, it was Steve Warnock that season wasn't it Steve Warnock then played as well yes oh, what fair, a player yeah. he was Warnock was was a good player um, who am I going to I don't actually I'll be honest that stumped me <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon Fads could have a go at left-back? Not a chance. God, I think Fads could play any position in the pitch. <laughs> and I'm not even bullshitting. I think he could play any position he wants. Love Fads is going to left-back. Well, we'll Fads left-back. <laughs> yeah, um, who's your captain, mate? Who's got the armband? Doyler. Stand All, day. All day. I just, like I say, I just love the way, I just love everything about him. And 
is you said Peter Taylor was your favourite manager. Is he the manager that's going to get the best out of that side? No. <laughs> or, 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 or do you need Steve Evans in charge of that? Do you know what I'm going to put? I'm going to put a man, big, big Evo, big, big Evo. Yeah, he's fucking. Whatever anybody says about him, he's fucking records unbelievable. He's he has the, he's doing all right, hasn't he? You can't argue with that. And to be fair, you know you would come in and you would get away early when you were with Steve. So. I'll put them in as well so that the boys can get home early. <laughs> uh, Scott, obviously, we're nearly finished, but before we go, I just want to genuinely say you've been the most down to earth, laid back person we've interviewed by a mile. He's just been like talking to one of your mates out of the pub, and I really appreciate it, mate. No, I've loved it. Loved it. Mate, That's what it is. My shirts, my face shirts, and we left that much. I fucking much prefer it to being a, a boozer. Yeah, be yeah, so with me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've loved it. Appreciate it, guys. No, honestly, mate, it's been our pleasure. It's been our pleasure. Thank you so much for giving up your time to speak to two fucking idiots about football. <laughs> um, Scott, I, I know you said you're not on social media much, but we'll take you in a couple of tweets, mate. If you're on there, give me a little retweet for us, please, mate. Yeah, I'll jump on, mate. And I've got accounts, like I said. I'm just not not that active on it, but I'll jump on and retweet it all for you. Love you. Once again, thanks for your time and thanks for the memories of watching us make mistakes at Highfield Road. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> What's the Crack Podcast? Proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote.